0: Three, two, one. Perfect. Perfect. Absolutely perfect. What movie ends Black Swan? Perfect. I was perfect, right? Is that how it ends? Wasn't that the line that she says at the very end as she's, like, dying?
1: Mm, You've got a better memory than I do.
0: Uh, That's not true.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. I felt it perfect. It was
0: perfect. Okay. It was. Oh, that makes more sense. A little less hubris on that line. You know, I've never finished our show and felt
1: perfect. It was perfect.
2: <laughs> I felt it. That's never happened.
1: Not once. Oh, that's
0: not true. It's only we have wonderful guests when our guests are really good. Yes. That's when I feel really good about the show. But when it's just you and me, I'm always like, oh.
1: This is a rough
0: one. Nah, that hasn't happened in a while.
1: <laughs> never say never.
0: Oh, no. It, we're due for a bad
1: episode, I feel. <laughs> <laughs> as, l- as long as you set the correct expectations.
0: I'm ready when you are.
3: All right, yeah, I, I don't remember who
0: I don't remember who entered the show last time.
1: I think I did oddly enough.
0: i I have no water. I'm not ready.
1: Okay. you liar Wait, you just have a water cooler over there? what's your?
0: No, I just have a pure water filter. Oh, okay. on the desktop over there because especially because right now. All my water's coming from a bathroom faucet mm, and I know it's all the same pipes and whatnot in my house, but I still like to it doesn't feel like it is doesn't there's doesn't yeah like drinking water in a hotel out of that toilet or out of, no, not the, toilet, out of the bathroom I'm sorry, the bathroom out of the bathroom faucet
1: what what do you do in hotel rooms <laughs> Hello,
0: welcome to Nashville CA, this is your double-featured, double-weekly podcast, hosted by one guy in Nashville and another guy in California. I am the California AF. That was so good. That really was. And I said, I said AF. <laughs> was that supposed to be half? It was.
2: Okay.
3: Half the word went missing. <laughs>
1: oh...
0: That's Josh. <sighs> I didn't say my name. I'm Sean. That's, that's
1: Sean. Hey, buddy. How you doing?
0: Uh, I'm all right. I'm all right, man. How are you?
1: Uh, it's, it's chilly here. I've got a nice evening tea. Ooh, what are you sipping? A Lady Grey.
0: Fancy. Does that come with, like, a leather whip and straps?
1: No, it's, she's a different kind of lady. She's uh, she's doilies and um, lace curtains, kind of a lady.
0: I keep telling you that I want to transition this show into just being a Fifty Shades of Grey podcast, and you won't let me. <laughs> and I feel like that's the wrong decision.
1: Listen, the heart wants what it wants,
0: and oh, it's not what my heart wants, bud. <laughs> 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 oh man. So, um, we're in the middle of November. Well, like, it's kind of the beginning, but it's already the middle of Noir um, and so we're going to just do one Noir episode here, and so I chose Blowout, and you paired it with the Friends of Eddie Coyle, which mm-hmm. is a movie I had never even heard of before. Ooh. So where, where did you start, where do you think we should start with this double feature? I started with Blowout. I started with Blowout. Okay. Look at us. A couple of blowouts cutting it up. I'm a regular blowout head. So, when did you first see Blowout? Because this is, I saw this one like mm, six months ago or something for the first time. Did a watch along with the trustees. Um, De Palma in general, I feel, is very new to me outside of Carrie. I feel like I really didn't. Carrie and Scarface. And Mission Impossible, and The Untouchables,
1: but apart from that,
0: Snake Eyes.
1: Apart (laughs) from that, you'd never heard of the guy. (laughs) But apart, (laughs) yeah. Dude, have you seen Mission to Mars? Uh, not for not since it came out, and I don't know that I got all the way through it. Honestly,
0: I think that movie's pretty fucking good. Really? I dig it. I dig it. I gave it a three and a half. I really enjoyed my watch along of it
1: is that, a few months ago. Uh, Gary Sinise?
0: It is Gary Sinise, and I believe he's wearing eyeliner. Ooh, guyliner. Mm-hmm. And uh, Tim Robbins and the affable Jerry O'Connell. But, uh, so when did you first see Blowout?
1: Um... It would have been when the Criterion Blu-ray came out. I don't remember when that was. Hardly any recollection, but I do know that I was very excited because there was a De Palma film in the Criterion collection, and I knew it was going to have some good extras and stuff.
0: I watched a bit of the interview with Nancy Allen today, Mm -hmm. just in my off time. Don't expect for me to have absorbed any of that
1: information
0: <laughs> yeah Leo, what are your, then, the
1: insights you gleaned
0: nothing nothing for the interview really just uh, <laughs> <laughs> nothing i went on a hike and then i ate a burrito so i ate this burrito as i was watching this interview and i think the chili relleno burrito took 90 percent of my brain and the remaining 10 percent just didn't absorb anything
1: so, wait, a chili relleno burrito. Mm-hmm. Isn't a, a chili it, relleno is already a dish by itself?
0: So, they base Yeah. So, they basically take a chili relleno, which is full of cheese and egg, and then they put that in a burrito with rice and beans. I think they might add avocado, too. I'm not sure. Do they... And then I take tortilla chips, and I stuff little... Each bite I take, after I take <laughs> a first bite, you must t- first take the top bite to open the seal of the burrito. Mm-hmm. And then jam tortilla chips inside of it. And so then each bite gets a tortilla chip and a little hot sauce dump. And then uh,
1: it's excellent. So is, uh, but a chili relleno, is that deep fried? I have not had one in a very long time.
0: Um, I think you could. Bake it or deep fry it. Okay. I, I I'm not sure if this doesn't. I don't think this is deep fried.
1: No kind of tempura sort of thing going on. No,
0: I mean it comes off a taco truck, so yeah. I don't think they have a deep fryer back there. Oh well, they make chilaquiles though, so they yeah. might. I don't know. I don't know what's going
1: on. You should get on that truck at some point in time.
0: You telling me I should go break into it like John Lithgow right now? <laughs>
1: No, I'm saying that you should make friends and, uh, you know, leverage yourself into that. I've got a buddy here who who does that. He's, like, managed to get in some of the kitchens in uh, some of the cool restaurants around town because he, like, met some people. So he goes and wow. picks up tips and tricks.
3: Have you seen Raising Cain? Uh, also with Lifkow? Yeah. Uh, I watched the, the like, fan edit
1: yeah when that thing came out a while back did you like it i liked it i wanted to go back and watch the theatrical because i haven't seen that in years and i always get it confused with um, Stephen king's the dark half
0: i think it's terrible oh really yeah (laughs) (laughs) lithgow Lithgow is so cheese, and it's bad. It's bad cheese. The cheese has gone sour <laughs> in that movie. Like I know he's hamming it up, but it's like dehydrated, crusty, old, dry 7-Eleven ham that's left on the shelf for too long. It's not good, which is funny because then in this movie, I think Lithgow is like a scary robot in this movie, mm-hmm. and he fascinates me in this. And I think it's just... He reigns it in a little more in this one, even though he's a weird as fuck dude. <laughs> but just reigning it in a little bit compared to Raising Cain, like, elevates it so much for me.
1: The, uh... Okay, so, Raising Cain has the, also the problem of... Um, I don't think I'm ever quite sure what is actually happening. No. Never. Okay.
0: I watched that movie twice, back-to-back, back, okay. the theatrical cut and that fan cut, uh, with Connie, former guest. Yes, yes. And at the end of it, we were by—we're both still like, um, <laughs> I still don't really know what the fuck is happening here.
1: Got it. I didn't know if that was just a shortcoming on my part. Um, so, you've said that you didn't have a whole lot of diploma grounding previously. Uh, how do you feel now, like over the last couple months?
0: Um, so it it's it started with um with Body Double. Mm-hmm. That was the one where I was like, oh shit, okay, this is fascinatingly weird and a movie that the first time I saw it I had such a like what the fuck reaction to it that I wasn't I wasn't sure how I really digested it, but I knew I wanted to watch it again like, okay. very shortly. I think I watched it again within like a week of the first viewing. And then it hit me and I, I loved it. And I showed it to my friends. And my two friends who come over to my house and watch horror movies and stuff, um, this couple, they said afterward, they're like, that was one of the worst movies we've ever seen. Oh my. And I was
2: but it's like,
0: I get it, <laughs> but I was trying to tell them, like, I think. De Palma's doing that shit intentionally, and they're like, no. That that was, like, so fucking bad. I'm like, I know, but, like, don't you find, like, Craig Wasson kind of, like, fascinatingly bad? <laughs> Isn't that kind of interesting? And they just weren't having it. <laughs> um, but I loved The Untouchables oh, as yeah. a kid. And then um, Snake Eyes is okay. De Palma is... A guy that I I still don't really understand, you know. Paul Rust goes really in depth on his De Palma reads and stuff, and De Palma's a guy where it's like I think he's so often riding that border of either good or terrible, and it's a very fine line with his movies. Mm-hmm. And this one, he nails it, and he gets it like I think pretty close to just right. But then the, something like Raising Kane, which is Kind of similar to this in some ways. Goes completely off the rails and is so out there and so De Palma-ish that it completely like collapses in on itself.
1: That's I've had this theory uh, because this is also very fitting for November. Um, *L.A. Confidential* and *Black Dahlia* are both uh, adaptations of James Elroy books. Okay. I, I've seen neither of those movies. Okay. Here's the breakdown. It's very simple. Uh, LA Confidential is a much better movie. Black Dahlia is a better adaptation of a James Elroy book because it's a De Palma film.
3: Okay. I could see that. Yeah.
1: They, I could see that. James Elroy has this very over the top kind of masculine. Uh, it's, it would be easily mockable type of language that he uses. Uh, super stylized purple prose kind of stuff, and it really fits with De Palma's. Like, I'm gonna do. I'm gonna put spinning cameras fucking everywhere. Oh my
0: god! All right, <laughs> the spinning camera in this movie. Oh yeah, it's it's a great shot. But I have a question for you, which is. Um, were you noticing the like the 24 frame per second stutter in that scene cuz it was it was like fucking with my brain when i when the camera pans in certain movies mm-hmm. the the 24 frames per second become very visible and i see the judder and the the sh- the skittering of the image and so that was like a real trip as that camera kept spinning around
1: Oh, do you? Uh, your refresh rate is must not be optimized. You've got it set for gaming or something, don't you? Uh, for, or for watching sports?
0: No, I mean, I on my TV, I turned off all motion. I I have all motion blurring, high frame rate things disabled. Okay, and everything. So as far as I know, no, it's ju- it's just, you know, like. It's, it, I've noticed this in theaters and stuff and everything. It's just panning shots. I see, I see this the shutter of the frame rate.
1: Maybe your eyes work too
3: fast. You're they're just too good.
0: My eyes are not too good. <laughs> my I just, my I have shitty eyes. No, my eyes are okay. They're fine Sorry, eyes. I didn't mean that. Yeah. I didn't
1: mean that. I was th- I was thinking earlier as I was trying to watch a movie with my glasses on and things were still blurry. I was like. I bet Sean doesn't have these kind of problems.
0: My eyes do not fog up when I go from a cold room <laughs> to a hot room.
1: Uh, I went to my guitar lesson today and it was 35 out then. And then I went into this tiny room with, with two adult men sitting in it and my glasses were very fogged up. And this story sounds like it's going someplace else. <laughs> Someone got out the birch branches. <laughs> <and they>
0: said, <laughs> Time to start whapping each other with branches across the back.
3: Um, should we, do you want
0: to get into this movie now?
3: Yeah,
1: let's do it. We've already
0: we've already started. Right? I have. I had zero recollection of how this movie started, and it starts in the most De Palma way. Oh yeah, possible. And I, for a second, I was like, did I, did I hit play on Black Christmas? Because this, fe- this intro of like a stocking outside of a, a sorority house felt very much like Black Christmas to me. Mm-hmm. But then it's like so over the top with like the literal <sighs> snarling that the soundtrack is doing and making all these weird breathy growls and noises and stuff. Uh, Um, Was this all one shot?
1: Yeah, I think there are. I mean, it's not like a super amazing um, one shot. Anytime you do something like extended, it's it's to be commended at least a little bit. Um, But there's another one we'll bring up later that is fucking mind blowing. Uh, But this one, the. Not just the, the POV thing is over the top. But as he's looking in the windows, the sorority girls dancing in sheer nightgowns, like, just inches short of having a pillow fight with each other, basically.
0: Yeah, and as the camera starts panning around inside, it just, like, happens to, like, pan over to a girl who's in her bedroom with the door open, just openly masturbating on the couch. And then I was like oh De Palma got his in but no he wasn't done because then we pan out of there to then go into the shower <laughs> where we're with another nude woman I'm like oh De Palma <laughs> if this wasn't just like De Palma just like is this like is this a weird like fuck you to the censors and also the starting the movie in a movie there's times with De Palma where I feel like he's trying really hard to point out the artifice of the medium, mm-hmm. even as he's presenting his stories through it. He's like reminding you that this is fake, especially with the ending. Like one of the last shots of this movie. Oh yeah. the fireworks shot. It's like, it's like De Palma's telling you we live in a fantasy world right now.
3: Um,
1: yeah, it, and that's one of the things I love about his stuff. Actually it's like super um is it brechtian uh that you can see the seams but he's pointing to the seams uh i always liked when i studied art um that somebody would be very painterly that's how my one of my teachers described it uh, that you could see their brush strokes and like it doesn't detract from the overall you know, impact of the work. I feel the same way about De Palma. Like he's showing you the brushstrokes. He's featuring the brushstrokes as part of the canvas. And I think by the time you get to the end of this, he's like, Oh, this is going to be an opera. This isn't just like normal life. I'm trying to jack your senses to such a point that it is literally there's explosions in the sky. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Yeah, and it just he goes so over the top. The other shot that I think of is um not in this movie but in Body Double. Mm-hmm. The the rotating camera that spins around the characters for like 35 seconds as they embrace and kiss in that movie. Yes. And and it it feels artificial. I think it was shot with on similar to this movie. Is that like a rotoscope shot with the the fireworks back there? It it, it there are so many camera trick shots and split diopters or oh, split yes. frames in this movie. Where again and again, I feel like De Palma is bringing the edit like to the forefront of the movie and like showing off with like the the skills of the editor almost. And
1: the all the stuff in this one, especially with like the. Synchronized sound and then desynchronized sound from from different images. Like he's really pointing out the way that you can be manipulated, and not just us. Like Jack is manipulated in the story by what he perceives.
0: Yeah, just I chose this movie because well, we you and I were talking about noir movies and. Trying to figure out kind of that more neo-noir... What, what, is this neo-noir? What would you call this? This, this
1: would be a, neo, a neo-noir, because it doesn't happen within the classic noir period. Gotcha. And um, so for me, I
0: love learning when I watch a movie. I, lo- I, I just think it's fascinating. It's like, you can tell me a story... But you can also teach me shit, too, at the same time. Okay. It, it, it like, doubles up my enjoyment of the movie. And so for this one, to watch Travolta at work with all this analog equipment (sighs) is just beautiful to watch. And I'm never going to have this experience on this equipment. And I won't need to. And so as an audio editor of this show... And doing uh, recording music and stuff and just as a hobby. I, I, I appreciate so much about how much expertise and skill goes into this, and it's fascinating just to watch him. It's it, through so many different methods too, we slowly fill out the story of this car crash, and it starts as just audio, and we don't even see it. and then we get his re- uh, remembering the audio or remembering what he sees. And so, and it like, it slowly, slowly adds layers of information and clarity for the audience, but it's through like different, different mediums Mm -hmm. of media and different kinds of film and audio. And it's just so technically fucking cool. This is like, this is like Michael Mann thief. Yes. I just, it's such a fucking cool movie.
1: So, you said it's beautiful to watch John Travolta work with all this stuff here. I'm going to one-up you. It's beautiful to watch John Travolta in this movie. Just full (laughs) stop. Like, this movie makes me understand why John Travolta was a thing. Like, yeah, you can watch Carrie and you can watch Grease and Starting the Night Fever. And you get kind of one image of this guy. Uh, You know, he's always... He's, he's handsome, but he's kind of a jerk and he's cocky. And here he's like actually playing a range of things, including Paranoid. And m- multiple times in my notes, I was like, I was like, just John Travolta. He's a lot of what an actor. Travolta, man, he's really fun to watch. Just shit like that.
0: <laughs> There's one moment that I really liked, and this is something I did gleam from the interview with Nancy Allen, the where... She asks him how he got his sound job, and he says like, "What? Uh, I don't know." And it just—he improved that, and they both—he—it made her laugh, and they both laughed through it. And it's a moment that feels very natural mm-hmm. and very real, which is kind of funny to say in a De Palma movie where everything is so over the top fantasy <laughs> right. to have like a little moment like that of actual two actors getting along. And so, and they. They were a couple in Carrie, correct?
1: Oh, yeah, I think so.
0: Nancy Allen was the girl who wears the baseball cap. She was one of the shittier ones in that movie, was she?
1: Um, I believe you're thinking of PJ Souls. Oh,
0: I, I, I
3: might be. I don't know. Yeah, PJ Souls is... is um, I don't remember what's supposed to be on her hat, but she's the hat girl.
0: What do you think of Nancy Allen in this movie?
1: It is... I like her more as the movie goes on. But right off the top, she's a lot to take. Like, all at once there. Her her persona. And I don't know if... if is this her performance? Or within the movie, is she performing a certain way? Do you know what I mean?
0: I her character comes across as dumb yeah and naive and i want to i i can't tell if that's her performance or if that's de palma's interpretation of this character i i don't know i, I, I honestly she's kind of the one thing in this movie that i wasn't really vibing with she had little moments here or there but an extremely soft-spoken woman who's like passively used by men and who never really sees the big picture of how she's being used by dennis franz by john travolta by anyone Mm -hmm. and then you know to die at the end (laughs) <laughs> I, I I'm not sure like, what he do I don't know what De Palma really is saying with her character, but it doesn't seem to be very good about women.
1: Well, and it takes uh, it takes a long time for her to get to the point where she confronts Dennis Franz. Like John Travolta has to literally point out to her that she was being used <laughs> before she's like, "Wait a second." And yes, only to then go on to be used
0: by Travolta Yes And not, not see that Yeah So it's just that her character is so naive And I, I, I'm not sure I'm not sure if I'm digging it, really
1: Would you say that also to an extent uh, John Travolta's character is naive, though?
0: Oh, hold on, sorry Let me raise my desk here
1: Ooh, this is fun, I get to go for a ride.
3: Whee!
0: <laughs> what was the question again?
1: Would you say that in some respects John Travolta's character is also naive?
0: Oh, yeah, because the dude repeats the biggest mistake of his life again. Yeah. He gets a cop killed and hung by the wire that he wires him with. And it's clearly, like, a defining moment of his life that has fucked him up and haunts him. And then he just sets up... uh, Sally is her name? He sets up Mm -hmm. Sally in the exact same situation. And it's not even like he's trying to keep an eye on her and then he also has the equipment at the end when the meet is set up. He's just letting her go in completely blind and, like he's in the parking lot and that's and, and, and so it's just like what a, what a fucking
1: asshole it's he has a moment where he doesn't understand how the reporter got her phone number and like why his phone hasn't been working and john lithgow is the one who has like fucked with all this stuff um under his guise as a repairman right and yeah so his initial hesitancy is correct. Like, his read of the situation of like, wait a second, we shouldn't just go into this. Uh, and then Nancy Allen's like, oh, these th- these kind of things happen. It's, you know, <laughs> he's, a, he's a reporter. He can get your phone number anywhere. Kind of a thing. And right. Travolta's like, uh, yeah, you're right. And I'm just like, you were so close to being on... Part of the interesting thing is he he is never really correct in this movie. Like, yes, with the blowout part, but everything after that that he tries to do, it, he is wrong. He, he keeps going to the wrong people. Um, he thinks the cops erased his tape. He doesn't understand that there's like someone else involved. He thinks the right. conspiracy is like in one direction, but it's actually in another one. And, and that's just kind of amazing to me he's always in over liked, his head
0: i liked when that cop had that moment of like hey give me the tape just because i think <laughs> you're a piece of shit doesn't mean i'm not gonna do my job yes and I, I, that was like a very cool moment um now he's he's also an airhead guy and
3: the fact that he's he's
0: he thinks of himself in like what he has i don't know it's like such a grandiose nature of like i'm going to get this out and like change the world and stuff and it just doesn't seem like anybody cares <laughs> yeah really.
1: he he's kind of a dingus and he's got this um what overinflated sense of self what is the uh oh the line from is it return of the Jedi where he says like, I go away for a little bit and everyone come, I come back and everyone has illusions of grandeur. Yeah. That's Travolta in this movie. Just thinking. And you can tell at the beginning because he is upset with his job that they've done five movies in two years. One of which was called bordello of blood.
0: <laughs> and, that was, that was, it's funny. There was a moment where like, I remember writing a bad line like that when I took a screenplay class in college where it's like, I looked at my brother and I'm like, how, how long have we been brother-in-laws or whatever? <laughs> and that's exactly what happens in this movie where the guy's like, Jimmy, how long have we been working together? And then he's like, well, we got Bordello Blood 1, Bordello Blood 2 or whatever. It's just like that like heavy exposition. What's his name in this, by the way?
1: Uh, Is it Jack? Jack. Jack
2: Terry?
0: Jack. Yeah. Um, um, so I think, what do you think of the title card? I thought this title card was fucking rad and so clever. And just the idea of like back in the day, editors having to use so much like creativity just to like move the fonts around to create title cards versus what we have now. Um, this one's awesome.
1: Yeah, I had no idea how they do some of this stuff without computers. Like, I hate to sound like a a, a big Jack Terry in this. Is that the same Jack Terry? Jack. Whatever. Um But Well,
0: I feel like I have some idea now because there's the part in this movie where he literally takes photographs yes. and makes a movie out of them. And I was like, this is fucking <laughs> brilliant. So when he cuts all the frame by frames out of the magazine and then prints them onto a movie, that's, that's so cool. And I, and I feel like that teaches me about like, okay, that's how animation, uh, that's how
1: like an animated movie would get made. Mm -hmm. And then when he syncs the sound up with it, the way that he goes through that, and that has to be a three or four minute long scene with him scrubbing back and forth through the audio and lining it up with the the railing breaking and then the the car splash and him marking the different points on it and then watching it back. Like that's a whole, that's a chunk of movie that we spend with the technical, the visceral hands-on part of this, which is just awesome.
0: And Travolta clearly put time in training with some audio tech or somebody who taught him very well because he moves like efficiently And quickly through this, like a man who lives in this space with these machines.
1: That's I'm always, and this is another like kind of dumb thing, but I'm always so impressed when actors feel like they've lived in their space. I feel like there's um, some productions you watch and especially like on TV shows where they don't get a lot of time. And so it, it, it doesn't come off as stagey necessarily, but I feel like you really notice it when someone does it really well. And the scene where all the tapes have been erased and he just runs from machine to machine and grabbing reels off of the walls and plopping them down. Like that feels like you have to know those things intimately because he starts three or four or five different machines. Like, he threads them up and starts them and they all start spooling and doing different versions of static and stuff and it it just feels so natural that
0: scene was a great incarnation of those panic moments that we all have had maybe like for me i remember like losing an essay or something that i wrote on computer Mm -hmm. and having to rewrite it for high school or something like that. And that feeling of the camera's spinning. We keep adding more and more static layers to the audio design as he starts more tapes and each tape that he adds that, that each like layer of static is more chaos and more anxiety. And the, and the camera just keeps spinning and spinning and it's, it's a very stress inducing
1: sequence. The, uh, just the other day when I was flying out, um, I could have sworn I left my carry on bag at home or my, my check bag at home because you throw it in the back of the car where you can't see it again. It's not in, it's in the, it's in the hatchback, right? It's not in the, like the back seat. You put it in the, you put it in the way back and I turned around and I just had this moment of like, (gasps) just utter panic that that's what was happening. And it feels like that, like the whole world goes kind of on a tilt for a second, like a Dutch angle. And it's just like, no, God, no. I get that
0: bad sometimes with ridiculous things, even like gassing up my car and getting Taco Bell. And I don't, I don't even let the dogs out of the car as I'm like on a road trip. Mm-hmm. And I start driving And I look behind me, and I I can only see one of the dogs. And I know, like ninety nine point eight percent sure, both dogs are in the car. (laughs) But still, I've had the panic moment of like having to like look back there and like look over my shoulder and call the other dog, and it's just lying down behind the other, and I can't see it. (laughs) But it's scary; scares the shit out of me.
1: Uh, And I I know this isn't a concern, and it's not currently a concern of mine. But try that with a child.
0: Yeah. Oh, well, a kid will be all right. Yeah, I mean... I, I think a kid will be
1: they're, better off than a dog. They're resilient. They're not going to run away. They're going to stand there crying. And you can go back and find them very easily. But Did you
0: ever get left behind anywhere? Yes. Yes, I did. <laughs> really? Where?
1: Um, at a gas station on the way to Mackinac Island in Michigan. Uh, we had this big... Uh, conversion van with like three rows of seats and the back two would lay down and create a big bed and whatever. And it was me, my parents and my grandma were all there and they thought I was in the back. They didn't know that I had gotten out to go to the bathroom. And because I was back there with headphones on reading a book because even at 15, I was a nerd. Um And no surprise. Yeah, not surprise at all. <laughs> probably some science fiction shit or something or a Batman. Let's it was probably a Batman book. Um, but uh, yeah, I remember coming out of the gas station to see the van pulling away, <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> like pulling back onto the road.
0: Did you run after them?
1: No, I just stood there. They, I was dumbfounded. And how long did you, were you left behind? It was just a few minutes. It was, okay. I think, my grandma like eventually mentioned, "Hey, he's not here." But, and my grandma doesn't sound like Nancy Allen, if if that sounded like the same voice at all.
3: Hey, he's he's not here.
0: <laughs> so, uh, oh, did you think of Mike Shank here with the screams? Oh, yeah, of the course, start with these women, these women doing terrible screams, and then Mike just ripping it. Um. And so after, you know, he he can't get the screams, he goes to the bridge. And this is the big setup of the movie. And I, I like the De Palma voyeur stuff that we get a lot in Body Double of Travolta's on the bridge looking at a couple. And he's recording them. And he can hear them saying, that man's staring at us. He can hear them being creeped out by him. And yet he's still like... Enjoying it,
1: yeah, and it, digging it. His little like, it, would that be a shit-eating grin? His little <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: <laughs>
0: definitely, definitely. Uh, one thing that I think is so cool though is De Palma gives us a timestamp. Uh, it's the owl hoot. The owl mm-hmm. hoot is kind of our marker to know that that is the start of the action sequence because it goes owl hoot. Car noise, blowout, crash. Okay. And I just think that's really smart so that way in the future, when Travolta is rewinding the tape back and forth, every time we hear the hoot, it it puts us in the audience, we know exactly which point in the tape that we're at. And then we also get a really cool split screen split screen shot, which is so over the top, and the owl's looking straight down the camera like <laughs> Anthony Hopkins.
1: <laughs> I love it so much the uh I was noting how i I can't tell what is a split diopter and what is like a film overlay in this movie
0: no, there's a lot of both of them i think yeah
1: it's there's a couple of times I can tell that it's a diopter like and they're hiding the the blur line between the between the lenses, but there's other ones where I'm like shit i
3: legitimately can't tell which is great
0: so the the car comes and crashes uh very cool car crash into the river i will say and for all the shit that we were kind of talking about jack he does immediately react to this and run down there and do the heroic thing this felt like in a dream, though, when he's down on the bottom and he's trying to smash the window with a boulder, and it's just like it, it, for me, anytime I have a dream where I'm fighting someone, it's I'm in a pool of molasses. Oh. and that's how this felt, like that just the, the struggle against the water, and just feeling so weak trying to smash that window open.
1: Um, it reminds me of uh, Nightmare on Elm Street when Nancy is running up the stairs and like, they turn to oatmeal underneath her feet. And it's like, yeah, you just, for sure. you're just stuck. What about that shot when he's underneath there? And, uh, it's basically like your mind is questioning what's happened to the driver. And then his head pops into the window. Like, uh, the guy in jaws. I was going to say <laughs> the
0: guy in jaws.
1: Exactly. Yep. <laughs> exactly. <laughs>
0: Um, And so he gets the girl out And Next scene's at the hospital Oh this is one of the most condescending piece of shit Cops I've seen in a while The guy that asks him Are you sure she was in the car It's like motherfucker I pulled her out of the car What do you think But it's all in the interest of Preserving this man's reputation If Here's the thing though, if this, let's say this actually happened to you, and then this old rich man who's probably a politician comes and tells you, I was his friend, what difference does it make? Why don't you just bury the story? Would you be able to bite your tongue? Because I I feel like the best move is you bite your tongue, you say you'll stay silent, and then you leak the story, but I might just be like, dude go fuck yourself man like
1: it would be really hard like having just gone through that and you literally witness uh, somebody die and then you're there and you save another person to I I do think immediately I'd be they would have slapped me that's what would have happened they would have slapped me and taken me to a back room somewhere and they would have been like no you you really have to not not run your mouth about this,
0: <laughs> yeah. And I think I don't think Travolta is aware of the threat and the danger that he's under, at least, definitely not initially. And this is a man that was oh, um, he was up by 40 points on the previous president.
2: Oh, in the yeah, polls
0: yeah, in the election. So, that election was unprecedented.
1: I've gotta go. I have, I, have, I have dogs to attend to.
0: I gotta go to the bathroom. I'll be back. <laughs> so, this is a romance story that I would have written if I were a 12-year-old boy. Like, wouldn't it be cool if, like, <laughs> I, like, saved a girl's life and then she, like realized how cool I was because of that. And then we fell in love and it was all because of this moment where like, I was the hero. Oh
3: yeah. It's really bad. It's really, (laughs) it's, I,
1: I, I either like to like a movie entirely or be able to dismiss it entirely And a lot of times that takes overlooking some flaws with the movie. And everything that having to do with Nancy Allen in this movie, you just kind of have to overlook at least a little bit, I feel like.
0: And it's that question of... intention? Or just a byproduct? And with De Palma, I think that's a tricky question to answer.
1: Yes, I don't know... I would give him the benefit of the doubt with the uh with Nancy Allen's portrayal of the character and the character to begin with. Like, yeah, she's supposed to be naive, because otherwise, how could you get her to do these things? Also, she wakes up in a hotel room with John Travolta and it's just like, okay.
0: Yeah, she was like. Was she on morphine or something? God, I hope before so. Before that? Because she seems heavily sedated and she's the one that suggests that they go to a motel. And he's like, Yeah, I'll take you to a motel. <laughs> and then, yeah, she wakes up and she doesn't get weirded out until he asks her. I don't recall which question he asks her, but that's when she re- like, freaks out and is like, Wait, I don't even know you. And it's like, you, you should have had this realization twelve hours ago before you spent the night with this man.
1: Yeah, it was literally when he is like, "What were you doing in the car?" or whatever, that she—that's when she starts. Like she, oh, she, right, yeah, she pulls back then. Um, and so she and Dennis' friends—they
0: are a pair that con men by set. She's like an escort, basically, and then he photographs their dates. And And that's how they make money?
1: They try to play it off by her saying, like, you know, I normally don't have to do anything with them. But I don't know how you get to the point where you're in your underwear in bed with somebody. uh, In, when is this movie? 1982 or something? Uh, Yeah,
0: we see, see like, a topless photo of her in bed with a man. Mm -hmm. Or she has, like, a blanket pulled up. But she's in bed
1: with this dude. That's, I would like to say... That they could get to that point and then Nancy Allen would say no, and that a powerful man, uh, politician would respect that. But I don't think so. <laughs> not, not in 1981. I hate to say it. While she's asleep, though, that
0: the scene where Travolta listens back to the tape and there's that red light on his face. Mm-hmm. This is like a masterclass of editing. It's beautifully edited as we go back in time and we see I love him moving the pencil and then that moves our oh, perspective yeah. and and we get shots of the tape machine playing and and it's just it's like where the magic of this movie kind of starts happening because it's like okay this is essentially a, a mystery movie and we're going to keep filling in the details again and again but going back to this this central thing that has missing holes in it and so by the end, to completely fill in all the gaps as an audience member, it's just, it's very satisfying.
1: So this movie in my brain sits right next to the conversation as far as what they're doing and a lot of the bits and pieces that go into it. What sets these movies apart for you? Because you seem much higher on this film than you are in the conversation.
0: I think it was there's a lot more audio hardware in this movie mm-hmm. I think as from what I remember it's like this movie dives really deep into it and the conversation shows it but then we kind of move on to like more of like Gene Hackman stuff and this movie keeps coming back to the production studio mm-hmm. and we have a new film well, now we're going to take pictures and make our own film. Now we need to synchronize the audio. It's It keeps going back into the, the hardware. And so for me, it's just very satisfying as someone who loves <clears throat> uh, tinkering and figuring stuff out and figuring out how things works and taking things apart and putting them back together. And that's essentially what this movie does. It's like what I did every day in high school was take apart all of my mechanical pens and pencils (laughs) and then put them back together. And that's basically what this movie does.
1: So, uh, you don't like people, but you like stuff. That's pretty good, (laughs) yeah. That's pretty good.
0: And I think maybe the 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 conversation I don't know, I just for whatever reason the and the mystery the solution of the mystery wasn't as satisfying for me either, and then there's not as much stuff to get distracted by, and like this movie you could say this movie is like campy and weird and even shitty, but I think it would be hard to call this movie boring, oh for sure.
1: That's, uh, in the conversation, did you at least like when they go to like the spy convention and there's all the guys like hawking their gadgets of like, listen, you type in this thing and you can listen through the phone of whoever the other end is attached to. And like, here's the super secret camera you can use. Cause I like that part. I like, I think that part's really cool.
0: I would watch a 90 minute movie set at a spy convention <laughs> where it's just like your entire movie is just one day on the floor of one of
1: those places. Just show me all the doodads and the guy is hawking mm-hmm. them.
0: I love doodads, doohickeys, gadgets, uh, gizmos, thingamajigs. gremlins. <laughs> um, so John Lithgow swaps out the tires. we don't get we don't realize it's John Lithgow yet, but it, it is. And um And now Dennis Franz comes on the scene. And my God, what a whirlwind of a performance this is. He's fucking hilarious in
1: this movie. Dennis Franz is fronzing it up so hard (laughs) in this movie. That was my that was my thought is like he always has he ever played just a straight ahead, like cool, nice dude. Because I just watched Psycho 2. Have you seen Psycho 2? No. Okay. Dennis Franz plays the guy who took over the Bates Motel while um, uh, Norman is in, in custody. So for like 20, I, 20 years in between, Dennis Franz has been running this hotel and he turns it into like a pay-by-the-hour love shack kind of a place. <laughs>
0: Why have you not made me watch this movie? <laughs> this sounds incredible. It's,
1: it's a very good movie. It's much more enjoyable than I had uh, even remembered it being. And I, I remember it being a hoot.
0: Okay, put it on the list. Right. We gotta we got watch Psycho 2 <laughs> at some point. Fucking hell. He's just so fuck. He's so funny. And this is like, you tried to ask if he's ever been normal and nice. And it's like, uh, the last 30 seconds of Die Hard 2, he's pretty nice. Where he's like, hey McLean, you're not such a piece of shit after all. Here's your parking ticket. Merry Christmas and rips it up. That's probably the closest he's gotten to being like just a normal nice guy. Did you watch NYPD Blue? Because I did not. I just remember mainly um Costanza has a poster of Dennis Franz in that show. It's Franz. I keep saying his name wrong.
1: I think it's Franz. Dennis Franz? Franz? And Franz.
0: I don't know. You said Franz earlier, and I feel like you would know better than I.
1: I'm just making shit up. I don't know how to p- pronounce words.
3: <laughs> Me neither, bud. Is it neither or neither? Um, tomato? The, the problem I have with that song,
1: okay? <laughs> I've got a problem with this song. <laughs> Uh, is they go through all of these different ways of saying tomato, tomato, potato, potato, and one side sounds very fancy. And then you get to, I say oyster, you say erster. I'm like, no, the person who says tomato is not also going to call it an erster. That's the, that's lazy speech. They would call it an oyster. Nobody says erster. I I think uh, maybe in particular parts of Louisiana you might get an erster. Really? Yeah.
0: Did you Did you catch the crick? In oh yeah. Uh, I think it might have been Eddie Coyle. I'm not sure, but that was. Uh, I remember going to Montana fishing and all the fishermen there. Oh yeah, it's a good crick. You'll, you'll you'll get some trout in that one. <laughs> I love a good crick. Um we got the frame by frame print on the magazine and you know, it was cool even to see like the start of animation here as he cuts them all together and makes a flip book. And so we really cover like such a wide array of like the history of film and then silent film and then audio only. And then like combining it all and finally everything like synchronization of these things. And it's, it's, it's kinda of like a weird history lesson yeah, of film hardware that we go on with well, this movie.
1: And I think along with voyeurism, like uh De Palma loves thingies. Like like you, he's really into the stuff and the hardware of making movies. Uh and it actually i know I've brought this up before, but it seems like it's been a long time. Um, the Errol Morris documentary, The Thin Blue Line. This seems to share a lot of visual DNA with that movie.
0: Really, I may have watched that in a class for school. I know it's one of like the most famous documentaries. It's uh it's shot in a
1: court trial in Florida,
0: if I'm not mistaken.
1: Um you might be conflating two of his documentaries two different ones because he did Vernon, Florida, which is about the small town in Florida where, um, all of the insurance fraud cases come from (laughs) or not insurance fraud. It's the people who actually like cut off their thumbs and then file for insurance and live off the insurance. Um, but the thin blue line was, I believe in Texas. Uh, and it takes all of the different, um, interviews with people Uh, that he could get his hands on and then current interviews and like, it'll go back and it'll just show a tape player. Like just spooling out playing an old interview. And it was one of the first things to do that. You get a lot of that in, um, what was the, what's the Fincher? Is it mind hunter? Is that the, the Fincher show? Yeah. 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 The The opening of that show is came from thin blue line. Basically.
0: Can I talk about how annoying mind hunter is? Why? Because it was fucking excellent, and then it just ended in, like a <laughs> a weird no man's land where n- like nothing. There was no character arc. There was no resolution of anything. It was just like, all right, I, I'm tired of making that show now, so that's the end of that. It's like,
1: but <laughs> but but it literally ends in like uh with a setup for the next season. Like yeah, they're, and they're and pulling back from it, that house, and they show you the the intersection and that guy that we've been following only tangentially, who's been doing weird shit but hasn't done anything straight up criminal yet. We're like, they have uh-oh. been
0: setting up BTK yes. to be like basically the end of the show. Yeah, I feel like I feel like the show would have been planned to end with like the arrest of BTK, and for them to have just called it after two seasons. It's just very frustrating to me because I really liked it, and that's why I'm, I'm let down by it. It's like the possum. It's like when I really dig something and then get let down by it, the letdown is so much worse.
1: That's really true. That's uh, it's the season two of True Detective problem.
0: Oh oi <laughs> that fucking season. Good lord. <laughs> Good lord. Um, so what would you think of the the long I don't know probably five minute um, flashback as he tells the story of wiring the cop who was going to catch a dirty commissioner meeting with a mafioso um, and I thought it was interesting that it seems that Travolta is the cause of this man's death because the batteries start arcing and burning him mm-hmm. it's uh, first of
3: all
1: this is like their first date, right? Like they're at the, they're at this bar at the railroad station. Is that where all this is happening?
0: Yeah. He, they have, she, she gives him 10 minutes. Yes. And somehow in those 10 minutes, he decides this is the good opener. <laughs> That's a very good point. I had not thought of It's like, Get all the pleasantries out of the way. Yeah. This is like Khan in Thief, where he's like, "Listen, yeah. I am a man who's on a very tight schedule, so here's how it's gonna be."
1: Yes, the uh, the flashback is awesome. I think it's. I mean, I love uh, a lot of those kind of cop procedural stories, and this being told from the from the perspective of Jack as he. Sets this stuff up and I like that. He doesn't fully understand what the situation is. Even he only knows his part of it. Like he knows what he's been told in his marching orders. And he hasn't thought of the rest of the implications of what this means. Like it's only brought up later when he goes to take the, the stuff to the police where the policeman is like, Oh, I remember you like, you know, you're the one who was catching cops and he was like, yeah, they were dirty cops, but I don't want to talk about that. Like, let's not deal with that right now. He like, he's very blinkered in a lot of ways. But this section felt like something out of a Scorsese film all of a sudden. Like The Departed or whatever. I really liked it. And also the idea of a battery arcing across your sweating stomach and burning a hole into you is horrifying. As you're trying to maintain your cover? Yes.
0: But, dude, the bulkiness of this battery pack, <laughs> it's, it, they're taping a circuit board with, like, four AA batteries to this man, and it's, like, I don't know, it, it's gotta be obvious. They say cops can spot, like, concealed weapons or whatever, right? Or is, maybe that's just a TV thing, I don't know. But Mike Trout would have seen this guy coming and been like, <laughs> well, that guy's wearing a wire. Wait, was that a, was that a good Mike?
1: <laughs> was Mike Urban Trout the character portrayed by Billy Bob Thornton in the movie Sling Blade?
3: <laughs> <laughs> Don't hurt that boy.
1: <laughs> Some folks call it a Kaiser Blade. It's not every woman who'd
3: get up knowing
1: that big man biscuits.
2: <laughs> uh, I think maybe
1: we
0: could just do. Uh, a whole episode sometime where we just do our um our thing, blade voices. It, 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 that wouldn't be grading for the audience <laughs> at all.
1: <laughs> no, I'm. <clears throat> you know what? We've never gotten a letter. I'm sure we'd get hate mail <laughs> after that. Hey, at least at least we'd get feedback. Ooh, good point. <laughs> it's oh.
0: Like projecting a show into the
1: void right now. <laughs> 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 oh god! <laughs> oh, this, this one's going out to the stars. Uh, it's, we're we're a couple of Zach Braffs screaming into the abyss. Uh,
0: uh, yeah, I was gonna say, oh, there's a really cool split screen diopter shot of uh, and this again, I don't know if it's split screen or a diopter of. Sally's photo. Lithgow's holding her photo, mm-hmm. and then, but instead, he's he's tracking a sex worker who looks similar to her. What do you think of this? Was this necessary? The side plot of Lithgow's going to fabricate. He's going to be a serial killer, right. serial killer, but he's going to fabricate like an identity about it just to make her death not seem suspicious.
1: Yeah, the. I think it is needed within the movie because the movie's ridiculous and it's fun. I think if this was a real cover-up that they were attempting, you totally don't need it. What you need is for her to uh she takes the money, she's gonna leave. Like, pretend that she left and kill her in another city or have her body show up in another city or something, like if you go if you're gonna kill her at all. But Livgown Seems like he would be playing with fire here. I know the police don't have a great close rate, but ju- just the idea that he's like, oh, I'm going to kill seven women instead of one. And I'm going to stab the Liberty Bell into their stomachs every time that I do the it. The
0: dumbest, the dumbest part. <laughs> <laughs> oh. And they announced that on the news and imagine like, what, what coroner looks at that body? It was like, you know... <laughs> <laughs> All those ice pick rooms look just like the Liberty Bell. <laughs> and the Liberty Bell is made of pennies sent in from children across the nation. Oh my god. What, what kind of a scheme is this? Oh. You know, you'll be proud of me. I went to Philadelphia and I didn't even bother to see the Liberty Bell.
1: Yeah, I haven't either. I've, uh, I've seen the Rocky fact, Steps.
0: It. Yeah, I... I was hanging out with my friends. It was more important that we had fun, but we did a car tour. Mm -hmm. Uh, former guest, Virginia gave a great driving car tour. And I learned a lot about this, the downtown old timey city part. Um, but then we went and got drinks and hung out and had fun. Oh, I think that was the right call.
1: That's, uh, I've been there a couple times for work. And as always, most of my travels are work trips. Uh, so I got to spend like half a day in Philly one time uh which was really great. We ate a cheesesteak. We saw the the Rocky steps and then we left and went to somewhere where they have a big
3: NASCAR
1: race. Um and I don't Daytona? No, cuz it was cuz cl- <laughs> it was close to Philadelphia. <laughs> Got it. Got it. Yeah. Um, And then the other time I was there for a couple days, but there was a big convention that I was attending. So I did get to go to its reading or the Reading Market, which is where Lithgow follows the sex worker through and picks up the ice pick.
0: Oh, like what a what a what a split diameter shot that was! Oh yeah, of a, a a dead fish. Yes, and then the woman in the background. Like, okay, I, I see what you're yep. saying, De Palma.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you can never accuse him of being too subtle. <laughs> no, but no one else is doing this shit. No, and, and, you know,
3: and it's cool. Like it, those shots are
1: fucking cool. That's, uh, I love watching, there was a series, I don't know, sometime during the pandemic, um, I think it was called The Gardeners, and it was, a, it was, like, based on this true life murder story that happened, um, but the way that they told the story was very much like this, like the flashback sequence here, right, where when they start questioning these people, the first times you see it, you just see their flashback. And then as they start questioning them more and more, you actually start seeing behind the scenes of putting the flashback together as if they are constructing this false narrative. And it pulls out more and more till there's a point where um, one of the actresses um, walks the policeman through the sound stage. They walk out of the set therein, around all these other sets, and up to the beginning of the memory. And, like, you see stagehands and stuff moving things around, and they go into this other memory, and then they light it up correctly, and they walk step by step through the process. And I just love people doing shit like that. Like, it doesn't take me out of the movie. It doesn't take me out of the show. Like, show me weird shit. I can, I can accept that you're telling me a story, and this is the structure you're using. It doesn't like, oh, I can't get into the movie now because you're being too artistic. The
0: best scene that I think Jean-Claude Van Damme has ever done. <gasps> Granted, I have not seen a ton of his movies, but JCVD has a fucking incredible moment that breaks the fourth wall and Van Damme talks directly to the camera, to the audience, and it it like, it was stunning. I've meant to rewatch that movie for a long time, but I also kind of don't want to... Take away the magic that I remember feeling about that moment. Mm-hmm. I I kind of goosebumps right now just thinking of that feeling of watching that movie and then that happening, and just I love that feeling when a movie does something and then you realize it's happening and they're they're actually doing it and they're going there. I think I got that feeling a lot with everything, everywhere at once, mm-hmm. where. I was like, oh my god, they're doing it and then they're committing to it and it's even more than I ever could have even like pictured or imagined.
3: That's, and when it's
1: done right it only makes the experience deeper for me. I don't know if that's whatever, I mean clearly it's not because every, everything everywhere all at once was very divisive. <laughs> Some people hated it and thought was it was it? Yes.
0: I, that, that's, like, the highest rating I've ever seen for a letterbox movie.
1: Oh, but the people who, who diss it, like, really diss it.
0: Well, I feel like they're just doing that in response to it getting so much acclaim. Also, you know, they can just go write a dead body in the ocean like it's a jet ski, for all <laughs> I care. I love my Daniels. I was gonna say,
1: you're a big Daniels head. I am. Got about that. I am.
0: Also, Benson Moorhead, Any Day Now. Yes. uh, Something in the dirt's coming out. I can't fucking wait. I can't wait. I
1: can't wait for you to watch it. It's...
0: We gotta... We have so many movies. I keep saying we should write it down, and then we never write any of these things down. (laughs) That's a good point. All right, Josh, talk me through the, um, the, the shot here, where we get, uh... Lithgow killing the woman, and you see the shadow with the red lighting of him stabbing her down underneath, like, the rafters where they're digging this pit, and then it pans up to the American truck, concrete cars or whatever, setting up for the parade, and then we pan down the block, and then up the building into Dennis Fr- Franz's room. Uh-huh. This is just like that De Palma magic. Nobody moves a camera like this guy.
1: That's... Uh, So, I was trying to figure out how you do all this, and it's got to be like a big-ass crane on a big-ass dolly, right? Like, to start, because that's got to be 10 or 15 feet below street level, where you start before the camera starts coming up. Like, and the actors are probably 30 feet below, but you see, like, the it looks like a giallo movie all of a sudden, like he puts on those gloves and he starts stabbing with an ice pick. And then it cuts to that silhouette. You're like, I'm in, I'm in an Italian crime film right now, which is, you know, through the birth of slashers and all that kind of stuff. Um, but so the, it cranes up and then dollies part of my fascination with it, though, is not just the, the shot itself is intricate, but you have Sally walking around the corner just as the camera catches her. Like right as that corner comes into frame, she steps around it. And I'm talking a lot with my hands here for these last couple notes, which are very helpful for podcasts. Um and then when you start moving up the building, you get Dennis Franz looking out the window at just the right time as well. Like, I can't remember um uh, oh, I watched Cruel Jaws, which Cruel Jaws is nowhere near. <laughs> I'm not comparing De Palma to Cruel Jaws. <laughs> but uh, Cruel Jaws has one of the shots where the guys are literally standing there when the, st- when the shot starts and then start walking. Like after the shot starts, okay. like they yeah. forgot to chop off the first, you know, two seconds of film. Uh, that
0: looked like when we would edit in camera in high school. Yes.
1: Yep. And uh, to like to know that that's how easily things can turn into that. And this is so choreographed. I can't imagine like uh, the cinematographer or is it De Palma? Because they also didn't have video assist at this point in time. Like, or if they did, it would have been super primitive.
0: Video assist, as far as like active monitors to see what, instead of waiting for the dailies to come back. Yes, explain the process.
1: Yes, so now you have Video Village, where all the feeds are piped back to a tent somewhere, um, depending on the director. But you don't even have to be on set. Like you can be in the next room over and looking at the monitor with headphones on, and you're getting everything that they're getting. Uh, you know. Or you can be Soderbergh and be looking through the lens yourself, but that's only if you're on a cinematographer. This was shot by Vilmos Zieg- Ziegmund? Ziegmund? um, who also did uh, Spielberg movies um, for several years. He worked with Altman. Like, this guy's fucking amazing. Uh, this movie is, like, exquisitely shot. Oh, it's and it's beautiful. Like, the colors. Uh, one of my first notes was, uh, we watch a lot of movies. <laughs> like, both for the show and just in general. But this fucking feels like a movie. Doesn't it? Like, the, the camera moves and the way the colors are popping. That The whole sequence with the when he's recording the sound. I was like, this is a real movie movie.
0: Yeah, I I don't feel like I get too many movies that are, there's this much put into every single shot, and mm-hmm. there's effects going on, and big ones, and big camera movements and stuff, and it's not that it's necessary, I love my minimalist movies, and my little slow guys that don't really do much, and just kind of sit there, and or you get your Neville Dean Taylors who are like completely over the top with crank um but it, it's no this level of production I don't feel like we get it that often
1: anymore That's the um you should watch an Ozu film sometime like Ozu moves so slowly that when cuts happen, when edits happen, you feel them like because you've been in this one space for like 30 seconds or whatever. It's amazing.
0: Be interesting. I don't know, I feel like Tarkovsky is about as slow as I can go. But maybe I can go slower. <laughs> uh, I need to watch more Tarkovsky. Anyways, uh, Franz is hilarious. He's like, hey, you, you know what the funny thing is? I was supposed to save you, but I can't even swim! And she's <laughs> like, she still doesn't realize... Like, that she was basically part of this, like,
3: kill. Yeah. That, um... So... Lithgow replaces the Tyre. She has disappeared out of
1: the picture. He, for some reason, was there... Within the narrative of what they're saying, even though he was a plant... And Jack doesn't exist in the world of the story that the politicians are trying to sell. Got it. Okay. <laughs> I had to catch up with myself there because I was like, no, this all makes sense. And like, no, to Jack it doesn't, I forgot.
0: I like when the cop says he's an ear witness to an assassination. What good does that what good does that do? Yes. Very funny phrase. Why the fuck are there three bridal shops? Next door to each other. I didn't notice that. That seems like that. a bad business model.
1: That's <laughs> the bridal district. <laughs> Philadelphia's bridal district, you know.
0: Um, so we get Lithgow being a crazy robot, the spinning shot, and then, uh, oh, then eventually she goes back to Franz and uh, steals the tapes by hitting him very gingerly with a fake bottle of Jameson over the back of his head. So that shot from over the top that bird eye, bird's eye view. Yeah. That felt like something from Psycho. Isn't there a shot like that in Psycho? There's yes. Goes above the where the set boundaries would be.
1: Yep, it's above the the stairs at the top of the stairs and you get it a couple times. Or kind times. of a
0: taxi driver as well. Yeah, the end, end of, of Taxi
1: Driver where they cut a uh, hole in the floor. Oh, did they? Yeah, they they cut a hole and like I guess put the dolly track up on the room above to get that shot. Oh, geez. Um,
0: yeah. And the Franz line there, like almost Christ, like, yeah. <laughs> just very, <laughs> very funny.
1: The, uh, I noted that the, um, the neon coming into his room, like that red neon, it's very similar to the green neon that you see in vertigo. Uh, across Jimmy Stewart's face, there's like a very famous scene, and it looks like it's kind of mirroring that. It's either that um, or it's the Kenny Rogers roaster sign.
0: It follows Star Wars rules because John Travolta is good, so he's red. Okay. Uh, but Jimmy Stewart and Vertigo is bad. So he's green. <laughs> he's green. <laughs> oh, no, but Star Wars is the opposite of that, isn't it?
1: But uh what's purple then?
0: Uh I think that's reserved solely for Samuel L. Jackson, Jackson's yeah. character. <laughs> oh the Kenny Rogers Roasters episode that was So I basically like jumped in to Seinfeld with season nine and I think I was in fourth grade. Or something. Mm-hmm. And so I jumped in on the show when it was very silly. And so stuff like that, the Frogger episode, mm-hmm. the giant ball of oil, all these things were like kid friendlier and sillier than what the show had been previously. So I loved it. And I knew that our teacher's assistant at my school was also into it. And so I w- read online or somewhere that people voted the contest as the number one episode. And I didn't know what that was about. Uh I didn't know what masturbation was. (laughs) But I went over to her, I was like, Miss Buckley, Miss Buckley, people said that the contest is the best episode (laughs) ever. She's going like, red face, and i covering Uh, her face. Just like, oh man, I can't talk to this kid about Seinfeld anymore. (laughs) Uh,
1: That's very similar to, I was in middle school. So this was like sixth grade, and I had watched When Harry Met Sally, uh, and I talked to my teacher about the fake orgasm scene. Oh, no! <laughs> did you,
0: yeah, did it, you do like a, a rehearsal, a performance <laughs> of it?
1: No, thank God. Oh,
0: thank God. Okay. Oh, I would like, be scarred to this day oh, if, if that had happened. Oh, my God. That was... <laughs> just thinking about that is making me blush (laughs) holy shit thank god you
1: didn't do that oh lordy
0: oh so yeah jack's phone gets bugged as he talks to the news guy and then all that stuff with the phone happens and uh lithgow sets up the meeting he has that cool uh watch string that he pulls out for strangling people. That's like straight out of a Hitman game.
1: Oh, yeah. The the uh, Assassin Watch. Yeah.
0: Yeah, love it. Love it. Uh, and that, that part where the woman uh, in the subway, in the bathroom, she's brushing her teeth. And by brushing her teeth, she's blo- blocking the strangulation.
1: Yes.
0: <laughs> so he has to wait for her to take the toothbrush out of her mouth to have access to her neck was very, very clever and silly, but I really enjoyed it as like a three stooges moment of you try to poke someone's eyes and then they put up their hand (laughs) in between.
1: (laughs) (laughs) The, um, the idea, first of all, there was a sink in the bathroom stall.
0: I noticed that. What fancy ass bathroom is this that
1: Philadelphia has? This this train station. Oh, and I wanted you to rate the bar that they hang out at in the train station. You don't. We don't get to see much of it, but
0: I feel like we only saw a
1: booth. Yeah, pretty and much. I, sitting
0: at a booth. It's. I haven't been a booth guy in a long time. But being it was, a cool lo- being a cool lone wolf like I am.
1: But it was one of those like round booths. Like a half circle booth where you can, uh, you know.
0: Listen, I would love a booth, but you can't sit at a booth by a, when you're a single man. It just doesn't really look right.
1: <laughs> I do it all the time. I like a booth.
0: No, but you can't sit in a round booth. You can sit at a two by two or a three okay, by three. Okay. Booth, but a round booth, that's like taking a bath in a heart shaped tub by yourself. <laughs>
1: see now what i want to see you do is go and really claim a round booth sit right in the center of it and just like stretch your arms out wide accepting of the world around you
0: (laughs) so you want to set up the uh the final big sequence here
1: um oh do you mean the the car chase through the city that I totally forgot about is that is in this movie.
0: I forgot this was in it too. (laughs) And it's just like, Ooh, wouldn't get away with filming this today.
1: Oh my gosh. That's, uh, and I love the, he's driving down the street. He drives through the big barricade. They're planning for the big, for the big parade. And There's fire trucks and horses and all kinds of stuff. And he just keeps driving in a circle till he finds a way out.
0: (laughs) Cool Jeep stunts. Mm -hmm. Some big Jeep jumps and stuff. This car is bouncing around. I don't like it when that horse falls over. No,
1: that was was upsetting. I don't like that.
0: But I also know that, like, horses that aren't racehorses are much more formidable animals. Mm -hmm. Like, just as far as, like, the fragility of their legs and stuff. But still... Don't like to see it.
1: No, there's no call for that.
0: There's also no call for a marching band to have somebody playing the cello. (laughs) Someone's fucking carrying around a 45-pound cello strapped to them, and they're doing finger-plucking bass. And it's like,
1: baby, nobody can hear that. Just stay home. (laughs) You're not making any difference here.
0: (laughs) Um... So, you know, they run down the subway. Uh, they get on the train. All that happens. And then um, the the range of this audio equipment seems to be increasing exponentially by the end of this movie. Because Travolta's sprinting for, like, multiple city blocks at the end mm-hmm. and towards the fireworks. Um, <laughs> it's... The way he kills Lithgow is, he does, why are you stabbing yourself? Why are you stabbing yourself? Why are you stabbing yourself?
1: <laughs> the, the classic big brother uh, finishing move. <laughs>
0: right. <laughs> and it's like, Lithgow has been shown to be a, like a, a, a clinically insane sociopathic serial killer up to this point. But he's so weak and feeble.
1: Yeah. <laughs> And uh, I love, there's kind of this shocked look that he gets when he's getting stabbed. That's He's like, what, to me? <laughs> don't, don't you know who I
0: am? <laughs> Ooh, that reminds me, there's, in Derek Delgadio's In and of Itself, it's a really good movie that's like a film stage performance. There's a great story that has a don't-you-know-who-I-am moment. Mm-hmm. And it's like no, because it, it it doesn't matter if people know who you are or not. It's th- this thing is going to happen regardless. <laughs> um, and then yeah, we get a downer ending, man. Oh, she's she's dead. He blew it again, and the fireworks is just such like a magic magic of movie moment, and we're living in a fantasy. And we're living in like a, a dream world that Brian De Palma has created, and it's all an illusion, and it, it it I love it. I love this
1: ending. It's so you get the big operatic ending, and then you get Travolta just sitting in the snow. Like and it's it's gotta be what that would be six months later? Cause it was was it the fourth of July?
0: It's probably a Fourth of July thing. Yeah, it's they say it's like Liberty Day or something. I think, but, but I would imagine that's a summer festival. Okay. Um. Yeah, and <laughs> the true downer ending <laughs> is that he saved the tape of her murder, and it's like, oh, here, here, Jimmy, I got just the scream, and just I, I wish I had, I wish I had a really like insightful read here of what de palma is saying but i i don't i just know that this is a real bummer
1: it it feels very nihilistic right like that uh her whole life and the life of of that senator or congressman or whatever he was uh and all of the other people that lithgow killed and lithgow himself like it's all reduced to being a part of a small part of a trashy entertainment that's it
3: oh that's a good point yeah
0: and like that it's just so gross that that's the idea of like using an actual death uh-huh. in a movie it's like cannibal holocaust of the ears yeah. of, you
1: know <laughs> yes and no one will ever know that's the thing like even the the guy he's working with is just like that's a great fucking scream. He has no idea. Uh also Travolta in that scene has cigarette ash longer than Shelley Duvall's in The Shining. And that's saying something. I I think <laughs> in 19 in the early 80s that's how you showed that your character was having a uh, it, was, it was emotionally disconnecting from the world around them it was how long their cigarette ash could get
0: my family and I we all went to Ireland when I was about 14 and we show up and there's like six of us or something and they just had like this tiny little minivan that they were <laughs> going to give us and it's like I don't know if that's going to work so my parents ended up somehow getting... The next biggest thing that they had was like a red airport shuttle van, where it's like five rows of three seats each. And so we were the American family driving around Ireland in this bright red behemoth showing up at all these places and driving in between towns one day, this old man it just like jumps out in the middle of the road and flags us down. And he just like... uh. Take take me to town. We couldn't understand a (laughs) word he said. But he's in the car, lights up a cigarette, and just has the longest ash gone. Just smoking in the van. And we get to the town, and just as he's about to get out, he ashes in the van and then gets out.
1: Oh, chef kiss.
0: Bless that man.
1: That is (laughs) beautiful. These dumb fucking
0: Americans in my town, I'll just smoke them out. (laughs) <laughs> uh, so that time, what would you rate? Uh,
3: blowout here. Um, I think this
1: is nearly. Uh, it's not perfect, but I think it's nearly perfect. It's I love it so much. Um, uh, it's like it's like a four or four and a half stars for me. Four and a half for me. Yeah, I. It's
0: so fun, and it's there's just so much going on, and this is mm, this is probably my favorite Travolta movie. I mean, he's in the Thin Red Line, but I'm not going to count that as a Travolta movie. Um, I don't know. Is is this better than Wild Hogs? I don't
1: know. Oh, now it was Wild Hogs, and not um, what was the other one? There was another movie about geriatric men on motorcycles, and I don't remember what it was called. Uh, you're you're putting it higher than than Pulp Fiction.
0: Yes. Oh, yeah. I I'd rather watch this movie than Pulp Fiction.
1: You're putting it higher than Broken Arrow.
0: <laughs> Ain't it cool?
1: Uh,
3: all all the look who's talking films.
0: Ugh, I've watched ugh. Just thinking about the sperm intro to look who's talking. Ugh.
1: Yeah. Oh, you know what is really good? A civil action. That's that's uh, in, I believe, an underrated film.
0: Never heard of it. I did find swordfish to be very fun.
1: Swordfish is ridiculous. That's a...
0: It is. I saw that. Hugh Jackman gets a blowjob <laughs> as he's proving himself to be a hacker. Yes.
2: Uh,
1: if only all, all my right. typing tests went the same way. Is that the note you want to go to break <laughs> on? I guess it is now. Welcome back. In the second half today, we will be talking about one of my favorite films, The Friends of Eddie Coyle, uh, directed by Peter Yates. Uh, from what year is it from? Nineteen seventy-three, 73? It's early seventies, <laughs> <laughs> at any rate. Um, starring Robert Mitchum. Do you have any Robert Mitchum history, Sean?
0: I was looking at his his uh, letterbox today, and. He's in a lot of movies that I've seen, such as Cape Fear and Tombstone and Scrooged, but I don't remember him from anything, but after watching this movie, I want to watch more Robert Mitchum stuff. Oh, yeah. I love him in this movie.
1: He's, he's such a... F- he's, he's a fucking guy in this movie, isn't he? He's such a- He's a guy,
0: and he's just
1: real... And he's tired,
0: and it just yeah, it just feels like a real dude. Mm-hmm. And it, it's a really understated performance too. He's never over. He's never like yelling or like has a big explosive moment where he screams and punches a wall or anything. It's just it's just a laid back, cool ass performance.
1: That's uh. We don't normally read reviews, but this one is very short by Nick Unson on Letterboxd. All you need to make a perfect crime flick is a couple of handguns and a handful of bald men who look like alcoholic longshoremen. That's Yeah. That's
0: That's pretty good. Yeah. Also, great choice of mask in this movie. Oh yeah. Those clear plastic masks are genuinely Upsetting and unsettling. I don't they're like very creepy. And I can't also they're such good quality disguises that I could not tell which character was Mitchum for um portions of this movie.
1: Mitchum's
3: not in on the heist. That would, expl- that would explain it. Alex Rocco is,
1: is the leader of the heist gang.
0: I thought Mitchum was one of the three.
1: No, it's um, Alex Rocco, and I don't remember the other guys. Um, uh, Artie Van is oh, one of the guys. Jimmy Scalise is, is Alex Rocco. Alex Rocco is the one you recognize from The Godfather.
0: He's the guy with the, the gap to—oh, no. I'm sorry, I'm thinking of the arms dealer. Oh, the kid? not Richard Jordan. No, Stephen Keats yeah. as the arms dealer. He's really good in this too. And he's basically the like the second main character. And like, his interactions just running around smuggling and selling guns. It's fascinating and there's genuinely good tension um in a couple of his scenes. That especially the one at night. That oh, M16 geez. deal at night is great, and it's cool to see we get to see a guy operating, kind of similar to how we get to see a guy operate in Blowout, where he, he opens up the trunk, opens the door, sets up the light, and then positions himself away from the car in the dark, which is so smart, so smart to like create a big giant light source to blind these guys and then he's hiding like downhill from them with cover behind this wall. Uh is really cool.
1: Um what about uh Peter Boyle in this movie?
0: I mainly I was just like, oh man, that's straight taxi driver. Yes. That guy. Uh he was the what they call him the wizard or yep. something like that yep. in that movie. Yeah. So that's uh that's my main memory of him. He was really good in this, too. I was, uh... I knew he was, uh... You know, we knew he had served time, and he was a bartender. And I wasn't sure if it was a reveal or if I just hadn't noticed it. But when it's revealed that he's actually a hitman...
3: That was pretty... Pretty cool.
1: Oh, that he is, like, um... What is it? His whole thing towards the end where, uh... Marty McFly's principal comes to him and says, I want you to pull the trigger on this guy.
0: I didn't, I didn't recognize McFly's principal. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> James Tolkien.
3: Um, which I know he's been in other things, but I, I, that's, he was in Top Gun, too. Uh, not Top Gun 2. He was in Top Gun as well. You say Top Gun. Top top Gun. Top Gun. Yeah. Top Gun. Top Gun.
0: (laughs) Top Gear. Top Gear. No, it's Top Gear.
2: Hmm.
0: Top Gun. Top Gun. Top Gun. What are words? (laughs) Dude, we've covered a lot of bank heist shit on this show. Oh yeah. Heat. Den of thieves, the hurricane heist um thief like <laughs> we love this shit, we love our heists <laughs> on this show, don't we?
1: can't get mad at a heist that's it's and this uh they don't go into as much detail about the heist itself, but what do you think about the plan for the heists the to go to? A bank employees, a bank president's house, hold their family hostage and then heist the bank, like using that as leverage. What do you think about this plan?
0: It's effective. Uh-huh. It works. Um I think it's I think it's cool because it's simple and it's easy and um <clears throat> those moments when they're waiting for the time activated lock. To click open. That, like, very scary. Very scary times. Thinking about that and waiting in that moment. And, uh, it's fucked up that they're holding kids hostage. Yes. And, like, the fact that, like, Eddie Coyle washes his hands of all of this. Of just being like, you know, I just, I just give a guy a, a few guns. And I don't really know what they do with them. It's just, you know, it's, it's out of my hands.
1: Mm-hmm. The... Oh, right at the beginning, um, we have no context. You get uh, Eddie and the gun smuggler kid uh, sitting in this diner, eating pie and drinking coffee, like, in the middle of the night. And I'd, I want that. I want that in my life so bad.
0: <laughs> that pie looks like a Weird custard pie, though.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: I don't want it. Give me, like, a nice apple pie, cherry pie. I Custard pies are not my thing. Like a flan?
3: Is a flan just a crustless pie? Like a crustless custard pie?
0: Uh, I don't know. They're wiggly. Yeah. They're real wiggly.
1: They're wiggly and jiggly.
0: How do you when did you see this movie? Um, how did you like find out about this one?
1: God, I don't remember. I know I've been, um, uh, I know like seven years ago, um, I read the book. Like, I oddly enough,
3: um, I found it at a uh,
1: goodwill right before my first trip to Boston. And so I read it like on the plane and in the cab in Boston, which was just cool. Like my first time ever in the city and reading this story that happened there, but I had seen the movie prior to that. So, uh, and it's always weird reading the book after seeing the movie. And when they're really close, it's a little disappointing (laughs) because I'm like, you know what? I didn't I didn't need to spend six hours reading this book. I could have done the whole thing in 90 minutes. That's always, you know, a letdown. I just read Halloween 3 uh, during Spooky Month, and I was like, wait a second. This is exactly like the movie. There's nothing different here.
0: That was sad. But do you get anything more from the descriptive
1: prose? Uh, from the Halloween 3 novelization, not so much. from the friends of any coil i definitely did there's uh uh, and i've got other george v higgins books i haven't read them like the defending of billy ryan i think is one of them Um, i just haven't read them yet I, i really should for November, but i'm finishing up spooky books so i'll be reading crime novels well into next year if i get through my stack at all
0: I'm still reading
1: Heat
3: 2. Hmm. Totally forgot about Heat 2. It's, it's good. It's sitting around here lot. somewhere. Yeah.
0: Uh, so this movie definitely felt like... One of the predecessors to leading up to Heat. hmm This gritty cops and robbers story going back and forth with the perspective and storytelling and but it's it's kind of all about banks though in the end
3: and
1: i love when it's done well i love a movie that drops you into a world without too much hand holding and this you're dropped right in he's talking lingo to this guy uh, and he tells the story about getting his knuckles busted in a drawer like and he's like The man says, "Put your hand in the drawer," and you put your hand in the drawer, and someone's going to kick it shut, and it hurts like a bastard. It's he's just so straightforward about it. Like, this is what you got to do sometimes.
0: I was like immediately enraptured with his performance, and it was this storytelling, this scene as he's meeting with the the other arms dealer, and count how many knuckles you have. However many you count, I have four more. Yeah, and. You know, talking about Catholic teacher. If you say no, they'll hit you across the face. Yeah, and so you put your hand out, and yeah, this guy's so no nonsense, but also clearly terrified of of going back, or, or getting caught again, mm-hmm. or also serving this jail sentence. I bet. He's, is How many years of a sentence is he looking at in this movie? Uh,
1: the police officer says five. His lawyer says two. Peter Boyle says, uh, if you're lucky, you'll get out in eight months. That's a third of it. You know, you get two years, be out in eight months. I feel like he made a mistake
0: doing what he does.
1: Well, the, the sad thing is he doesn't even get to do what he does. He's planning on squealing, and when he tries to, they've already been caught, because Peter Boyle already set them up, and made it look like Eddie did it, so he would have been fucked either way.
0: I've never seen a movie that's more about, like, biggest rat wins, and it's just like everyone is just out to fuck each other, but it's not even through, like, courageous means it's through being a rat and Mm -hmm. snitching to the cops as just who can do it first and who can give them the most info. And that's a really weird setup for a protagonist to have.
1: The, uh, I mean, you see a scene early on, I guess towards the middle, where Peter Boyle is talking with the policeman uh, and you get that he's giving him information, but you kind of think maybe it's something everybody does a little bit. Because Eddie's trying to do the same thing. But then the revelation at the very end that he was the one who set up the robbers. He was the one who told the mob that it was Eddie. Like, I just... I don't want to hate anybody in this movie because I feel like all these guys are just trying to get get along. (laughs) Right. Like... They're just doing it in really shitty ways. They have really bad coping mechanisms. and But I feel like at heart, maybe they're all, you know, wouldn't be that bad. <laughs> well, it's...
0: I mean, both these movies, what a downer ending. Mm-hmm. This one especially, like... I guess the way that they take him out is a pretty merciful way to do it. Just, like, get this man plastered out of his mind and then just shoot him while he's passed out drunk. But, you know, that that's such an odd way for a movie to end, where a protagonist is a rat, and then this other rat just, like, puts him down in a drunken stupor.
2: Mm-hmm. This, is,
0: <laughs> this is not the Hollywood story um, <laughs> that I've seen so many times.
1: Uh, going back early... I love the scene where Eddie is at home with his wife.
0: Oh, his relationship with his wife is very sweet. Yes. And I love her Irish accent. Yep. Is it Irish?
1: I believe so, yeah. Probably, yeah. Oh, that whole... Uh, she, Eddie, Eddie, it's morning. <laughs> he starts kissing on her. It's the morning. <laughs> yeah, I love that. <laughs> Um,
0: Yesterday you're mad at me for letting you sleep in. To- oh, that was Scottish. <laughs> Today you're mad at me for letting you wake up early. <laughs> I'm bad at accents.
1: That's what makes them fun,
0: though.
3: <laughs> um, th- this movie
0: starts immediately. It's it doesn't. It just starts in a shot, and we're we're surveilling this bank manager and it's so fast and then the credits pop up. I thought that was interesting, I, I rarely do you see a colon used in credits uh, these days anymore editor colon uh so oh, yeah um but like you said, this just drops us straight into this world, and we get to know all of these characters and. All the players that we have. And, um, you know, Drug War, I think, would also be a, a nice pairing to go along oh, with this yeah. movie. Oh, yeah.
1: Man, I forgot about Drug War. That that movie starts off with a bang.
0: Yeah, Drug War kicked ass. That was movie that was really fucking good.
1: Uh, what do you think about the score in this movie?
0: Uh, I, I didn't... I I remember it at the beginning being really cool, Mm -hmm. and then I didn't really note it much after that. I wasn't paying... I just didn't take a mental note of it.
1: I think both of these movies had really good... they're like jazzy kind of scores. I like both of them a lot.
0: Yeah, there's something about like that gritty city stuff combined with the score, like a, a jazz score. That just works so well, like driving around a city at night with a, a saxophone or a trumpet playing. Mm-hmm. It it just it just hits that vibe for whatever reason.
3: Oh. Um, I noted
1: when they're letting the uh, bank president out of the car after they. I guess it's the second heist that they do. Uh, or is it the continuation of the first one? I'm not quite sure, because it seems like a whole day passes in between these scenes. But um, when they let him out of the car and they like tie, put a blindfold over his whole head, and then it's time to start walking. Yeah. <laughs> like, first of all, that's terrifying. I think that would be worse than just having walking a gun. Blindfold. Yes. <laughs> I don't I don't like, like that at all. Who
0: knows if they just put you like right next to a mine shaft <laughs> like just, or right. start start walking forward.
1: But they uh when they let him out and the camera uh is shaky and like on his feet as he's walking and showing him blind and it's really close up. And then it cuts to a wide shot when he pulls the the bag off of his head. Um, and it shows that the, the gangster's car has gone. They've already driven away. And, like, it's so well done. I was like, ah, <gasps> oh, I can breathe when they, do, when they do that shot. I loved it.
0: This is directed by Peter Yates. Mm-hmm. I've seen... Two of his movies I've seen Bullet primarily for the car chases, and I remember it being an okay movie with cool car chases. But it I was a bit oversold, I think. I've also seen The Deep, which is like uh-huh. cornball cheese jaws with um, Robert Shaw playing Quint again. It- it's like a it's a fascinating movie. It's very cheesy, but I remember it being really fun. Nick Nolte as well.
1: Well, uh, Quentin Tarantino, in his recent book, Cinema Speculations, notes of Bullet and its relationship to Friends of Eddie Coyle that uh, Friends of Eddie Coyle is overrated in his opinion.
3: Which. Uh to
1: that I say Quentin Tarantino is he's an interesting man. <laughs> if you were to put Whoa. for me if you're going to put bullet next to this movie I'm going to pick this movie probably every time. I like Steve McQueen, but if I'm going to watch something over again, it's like bullet most of the movie is very boring to me.
0: That's one of my main takeaways was it just this movie's dynamic mm-hmm. and so many cool character actors just playing like gritty racist <laughs> pieces of shit.
1: Yeah, so you can't, you cannot forget the racism in this movie.
0: Well, yeah, when you set something around Boston in the 70s, I think it's just, uh, comes with the characters, right? Yep.
1: What about this, uh, the plot that kind of kicks off, uh, Eddie being a rat, where the young guy is getting machine guns for these hippie types? I don't quite know what they're supposed to be.
0: These hippie types, I, I, I don't know what these people are. Uh, I'm definitely fascinated by them mm-hmm. and their relationship. Are they brother-sister? Are they... I don't know. They're they're like a Bonnie and Clyde? I don't know. I would love just the whole talk of like, you know, like, I don't like them because they're a life sentence. You get a two-incher, a four-incher, you point it, and that's where it shoots. It's simple, you know? You throw them off a bridge when you're done with them, it's easy. And just that philosophy that he has about pistols versus these fucking rifles and you know, he doesn't even want to be seen near one.
1: The Have you ever heard guns called two-inchers and four-inchers before?
0: No. <laughs> they, no, it's a new one on me.
1: They didn't care, like, what the make was. I guess they, he does call out a smith a couple times. Uh, I do
0: like that. He doesn't care. He's just like, just give me something that'll shoot and that I can conceal.
1: Yeah. And he doesn't want ones out of a batch that
3: someone else has bought from. I thought that was uh, cool.
1: Like, clearly this guy knows his shit.
0: Uh, who who in media are some of your favorite arms dealers? Because I think one would definitely be... Uh, I love the guy from the Breaking Bad universe. Who Because he's, he's just such like a no nonsense guy and you can tell like when he deals with mike uh they have like a way of communicating without saying things and there's like mutual respect there and it's a character that you kind of get to know over the years of better call saul and breaking bad yeah so and then the other one would probably be the guy in uh taxi driver steven prince Yes, you want you want blow, you want you want e, you want coke. What I can get you anything, and he's just like he's just Johnny on the spot. He can get you what you need.
1: So uh, Stephen Prince is going to be my go to, and not only because of his role in Taxi Driver. uh, There's Scorsese did a documentary called American Boy, which is Stephen Prince uh hanging out and talking with some friends. And that's all it is. Like and he tells these great stories. Oddly enough, he tells this story about how he uh injected adrenaline into a woman's heart when she
3: OD'd. Really? Yep.
0: Yeah. That's wild.
1: Yeah. So it's one of those things that uh, there's another story that about working at a gas station uh, and somebody stealing from him. And uh, Richard Linklater used that in another one of his movies.
0: Oh, I thought you were going to tell me there was like a BDSM sex dungeon in the gas station as well. And Tarantino was just lifting everything for Pulp Fiction. <laughs>
1: Uh, I keep telling you this is not our Fifty Shades of Grey, of Grey podcast.
0: I, lately, I've been telling my friend that uh, I've been doing CBT therapy. And I guess CBT also stands for cock and ball torture. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> no. so he, he, he he keeps needing me to clarify that Ugh. cognitive cognitive behavior therapy.
1: Oh, my God. Well, that's like um, If you're trying to Watch something like the Great British Baking Show You know what channel it comes on?
0: The BBC There yeah. you go
1: <laughs> And you, st- yeah. you start googling BBC shows Or BBC programs And then cake uh, You know You get all kinds <laughs> of <laughs> All kinds of results <laughs> Was the internet a mistake? <laughs> Uh, I don't know if if the Internet had been created in the absence of humans somehow, uh, us as a fallen species, I think we were the mistake, and the Internet is fine on its own.
3: That's probably true
0: Um, um there's the the bank robbery where th- why would that man hit the alarm? Button? Oh my God. It's like, dude. It, it, did, haven't you seen heat sir in 1973 <laughs> don't you know that your money's federally insured and you won't lose a dime especially like if i'm the employee of a bank and somebody walks in and is like give me all the money i'm like sure here here's the keys i don't care it's not my money yeah i don't, have I don't give
1: a fuck
0: you can have the bank if you want i don't care just
1: i will leave and give you the keys as you know what? <laughs> if you want to get away in my car, I'll let you have those too. None of this is nearly as consequential as my life. The
0: uh Well, that dude got blasted.
1: When he gets shot, did you see the way that he falls? Like back from his chair? He falls back, but his arms like come in. Like it really looks like he got hit in the gut and he kinda like he folds over. It's a, it's a really effective death, I think. Oh, they
0: probably just loaded up his squib and yeah. he took like a concussive shot to the stomach.
1: That's uh, I've been watching a lot of squib work in these Walter Hill movies I'm watching for the other podcast. There's a lot of bloodshed uh, in his films. And so I've been noticing squibs and deaths lately. Did you
0: notice the spiral ramp parking lot shot it's one of my favorite things i loved it when i was a kid Uh uh-huh then this one is beautiful i love how the symmetry of this this one shaft of light keeps going by from right to left on the screen and then it opens up and then we get the next one that's just the light there and then it opens up and we can see as he's ascending up this thing and it just reminded me of like being a kid and going to a shopping mall parking lot mm-hmm. or the stadium parking lot or something and, and parking like that and like enjoying it
1: what about that i don't know what kind of car he's driving there but he's got one of those knobs <laughs> on the steering wheel i
0: noticed that because he's a truck driver yeah and he must use be used to that from having truck yeah yes. on his truck which those those are cool i i also think they're really dangerous, because if you hit your steering wheel with your body, <laughs> uh, that thing's going to fuck you
1: up. Yes. The, uh, it yesterday? The day before? It doesn't matter. I was considering what happens. Uh, I saw a car with the airbags deployed, and I was like, I hope an airbag never goes off in my face. <laughs> More than I don't want to be in an accident. I don't want to have to deal with that, like, having wearing glasses and having an airbag blow up in my face. That just seems like a recipe for something bad.
0: When are we going to get Demolition Man foam that fills our cars
1: upon impact? Uh, I need to watch Demolition Man another time. You haven't seen it? I've seen it once, um, probably 10 or 12 years ago. I remember I watched it when I had a basement office in one of my old houses. Um, but I have not seen it since then, nor before. I feel like I should have watched it when I was like 12. Like that would have been the ideal time to have watched Demolition Man.
0: Yeah, and that's when I saw it. Yeah. Demolition Man is an all-timer as far as cheesy action movies with like buff dudes. That's one of the top dogs. <laughs> I didn't
1: know that was a, a subcategory.
0: Well, just like the whole like Van Damme, Arnold, Stallone, you know, all, all all those guys kinda had their own their own class of movies going for a while.
2: Yes. Uh
3: we were a big um Steven Seagal household.
0: Under Siege One is great. Mm-hmm. Are there any other good Seagal movies? Um I think and also I'm going to say it's great in spite of him, almost in, in a lot of ways, like with it's amazing to see Meany, Tommy Lee Jones, and Gary Busey all hamming it up together on like in the same frame, together, those three actors. it's so over the top
3: um see, I think above
1: the law. Would have, would have been,
0: uh... Is that the one where he's, like, an Alaska environmentalist?
3: No, that's much later. Um.
1: God, what was that one called? Because it's really ridiculous. It gets utterly ridiculous by the end of his career. Um...
0: That's the one where they put rattlesnakes in his bedroom while he's sleeping.
1: (laughs) Uh, Also, from 96 to 2018, multiple women accused Seagal of sexual harassment. I I didn't realize that. That's a long time to be accused of things. That's
0: not surprising.
1: No, it's not. Uh, Hang on a second. I got to check on a dog.
0: I'm ready. No, I'm
2: not.
3: (laughs) Wow. Excuse me. what? It's
0: it, you know, it's it seems so much safer to do a deal in public, which is a lesson that like that's one of the first episodes of Breaking Bad. As they set up a deal, like, at a junkyard. Mm -hmm. It's like, why did you do this? Now they can just murder us out here with, like, no witnesses. And to see the difference in the vibe of how um, Eddie Coyle and the other arms dealer do their deal in the parking lot of a grocery store. Yes. And it's so kind of relaxed and chill versus that guy then dealing arms with the hippie couple and then getting... The, the rifles from the people in the dark. And the guy's also young and brash. He has a muscle car that's loud and flashy. And, and, and he's just... He's kind of taken a lot of risks that Eddie does not seem to take.
1: The, uh, the young... I mean, the, the policeman is also young and cool and drives a flashy car... So I feel like there's some kind of parallel between those two characters except for the policeman does all right. <laughs> like I don't know if like if you're on the right side of the law you can drive whatever kind of car you want. Is that the lesson that we're taking away from this or uh I don't know. But what about this the sequence where the arms dealer gets caught where he he tries to do everything he can to be cool about it. Like, in the parking lot there, he's like, no, I'm going to sit here for two hours and watch these cars come and go to see who's staking me out. And then he gets busted anyway.
2: Yeah, it
0: was, uh, how did he know when he said that two-hour line to the hippie couple? I was, I was confused why his guard was up. Why did
1: he? I think just because it's it's machine guns.
3: I'm and guessing. Was, and, and so
0: by waiting two hours, he wanted to see basically at 5.30, everyone who is working would come off work and come get their cars there, and then whoever's car is still there would be potentially surveilling him. Was that kind of the thought process? Yes. I
1: gotcha. believe so.
3: Yeah, that seems right. Uh, it was cool,
0: and Man, just 70s car action. They just did it differently back then. The way those cars bang into each other, they just have a different kind of collision where there's like not shock-dampening panels that absorb energy. These, these vehicles hit each other with violence.
1: Just the... <sighs> They're big chunks of metal... Just the fact that they are massive hunks. Uh, there's, no, there's no plastic on one of these cars. Everything about them is metal. It's, I mean, it's why they're so cool, but it's also why they would be so, so very deadly.
0: Oh, absolutely. I also love that so many of those cars from that time look the exact same. Oh, it's hard to differentiate them.
1: Yeah, like a, a Nova versus a Challenger versus a Charger versus a Roadrunner.
0: Well, and not even those. More just like the more basic cars, like Eddie drives, mm-hmm. and you know, because without SUVs, also it's funny to note the the lack of pickup trucks. Hey, America. People seem to still live just fine back then without having a fucking pickup truck to carry their groceries around.
1: <laughs> I mean, we don't need most of the vehicles we have period. Full stop.
0: No, I agree. I, I I drive an SUV that I don't need. Okay. It's nice to have. It's nice to like have with two dogs and to be able to sleep in the back of it mm-hmm. if I need to out on a car camping trip and stuff like that, but I don't really need it. I could get I could get by with, like, a Jetta or something.
1: Uh, I drove a, a Beetle when I was in Las Vegas last week.
0: Yeah? yeah. How how did that feel?
1: Uh, it was fine. It was a little stiff over all the bumps and everything. Because there's a lot of uh, speed bumps in Las Vegas.
0: I think I would feel self-conscious driving a
1: Beetle. Uh, I like to stand out a little bit, though. So... You chose this. When I when I got in off my flight at about eleven thirty at night, um they were like, Hey, you can take this Volkswagen or you can wait for us to bring another car, but there's three people ahead of you.
0: Oh no, I'm not waiting. No. <laughs> it's 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 the kind of thing that like I have preferences, but I don't actually care that much about Yes.
1: I was like, No, there's a family, there's a big family waiting. Uh, for a big SUV and someone else had turned the Volkswagen down and someone else was getting an elite car. Uh, And I was like, I'm not waiting for any of this shit. Just put me in whatever is closest and point me to my hotel. Actually point me to the in and out burger and then my hotel
0: in and outs in
3: Las Vegas. Yes. Yes it is. What do you get there? I got a
1: single animal style and some fries.
0: Regular fries or cheesy onion fries? I, I
1: should have gone cheesy oniony, but I did not. I just They're, their
0: fries suck.
1: Yeah, they were subpar.
0: They have bad french fries in and out.
1: The burger was pretty
3: good.
0: It's... It's good. I think by the time people get to it, it's, it's way overblown for what it is. The,
1: uh... When I got back, we went to Dino's, which is a little dive bar here in Nashville, which has a better burger and better fries (laughs) and, uh, (laughs) and it's a dive bar, but it's not like real bad. It's kind of, it's not gentrified, but there's graffiti all over and there's, but at least they put lights in the bathrooms now. They didn't used to have lights in the bathrooms really. Uh, so it's, it's much better now.
0: That's gotta be bad for cleanup. Just making people piss in the dark.
1: <laughs> it's, that sounds like a "They Might Be Giants" song.
0: <laughs> did you notice the scripture in the bottom of your cup or in the bottom of your French fry basket?
1: Oh, in- I did out? not. I should have. Ah, I know it's there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh. So, what about when Eddie goes to visit Alex Rocco at the um, at his trailer that he's living in with his With his Hotsy Totsy girlfriend or what have you.
0: It's funny, it's just like, he's selling guns, but then the way he's probing him for info, trying to get any dirt on him, it's just, at this point, I'm just like, oh, Eddie, come on, like, we're just gonna go, like, we're not even gonna have, like, qualms about being a rat now, we're just diving, like, head first, straight into it going into people's homes and trying to get dirt on them. Not cool, man. That's, uh...
1: And if you notice, they don't make a big deal about it, but the guy, the the gun dealer, originally quoted Eddie 80. Eddie talks him down. And then when he goes to Alex Rocco, he tells him, yeah, I had to pay 80 apiece for these. Mm. So... I get the idea that not only is he a rat, he's also skimming.
0: <laughs> the coil way. Uh-huh. Uh but I, I like the scene in the in the setup. Um I've never been a gross I've never like when dudes do like gross pillow talk or be like Oh, she never wears pants, so I can just finger blast her anytime I want. Or whatever that guy says. It's like, oh my god, thank god my friends and I don't talk to each other like this. I'm so grateful for that. I wouldn't be able to cope if that was how, like, my friends interacted with me. I just, I couldn't do
1: it, man. Now, I've had a couple guys try at various points in my life to, like, say things like that. And it always comes off so awkward and creepy. I'm like, I don't think anyone outside of movies actually does that. Or if they do, it's not in circles Oh, they do.
0: I worked moving barricades. Uh Uh-huh. Especially the guys who had meth in their pasts. You had the weirdest sex stories. Uh, One story, there was handballs. Like, that you could, like, a bouncy rubber ball or something that they played with in prison. And then, so they decided that the um, a woman wanted one of those to go up her butt. And so they put it up there, but then they couldn't get it out. You, you so need a flared they... base. Exactly. So they got like a dent puller for a <laughs> side panel of a car <laughs> with a suction cup. And apparently they were able to um... extract it. So that, that, these were the kind of work stories oh. that I was subjected to all the time. I was thrilled to get away. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> a dent fuller. Hey, this is what happens, man, when you make me record at 8.25 p.m. on a Saturday <laughs> night. It's gonna, gonna get kinky and weird. <laughs> um, so when the three guys are doing the next heist what do you think of the ski masks? Because I think they're fucking <laughs> hilarious looking. They're uh, like red rings with really narrow eye cutouts and then odd, like lips, but the mouth seemed closed. I don't know what these things are. They're yeah. hilarious looking though.
1: I think they're definitely a step down from the clear mask and then like the, um, they weren't president masks, but they were. They look like the like, the point They're break. like old
0: man yeah. kind of things. Yeah, this movie in or it, the masks are descending in coolness. Yes. It definitely for sure. starts with the best ones.
1: Yeah, that's uh what is it a uh,
3: balaclava? Is that what they're wearing? No, these are just
0: well I know cuz I think a balaclava has as far as I know, has a complete eye window. It's not two individual eye cutouts. Okay. I don't know. It also just might be a thickness of material. These things are thick. These are these are ski masks, for sure. I had ski masks when I was a kid, because I thought they were cool. Mm-hmm. And so my mom like took me to an army surplus store down on, on the 101 down in Encinitas. And... Uh, it was like one of my favorite shops to go to, and it was also one of the most intimidating places for me to go to. Uh, but I, I loved like looking through all this shit, and then I, I got boots at one point from there, mm-hmm. and I was like, "What, what man in the military had like size six feet?" Or whatever <laughs> I had when I was a kid, you know.
1: Uh, I had some, uh, because I was really into the the crow. And I wanted some black boots and like Doc Martens hadn't made it to uh, the middle of Indiana yet. So I bought some uh, army paratrooper boots and I loved those things. I was like 15, I think. Yeah. I bet those were heavy as hell. Oh, they were the kind with uh, like the cloth sides with the, the webbing up them. Like the the nylon webbing. So like the base is leather and then the part that goes up your, the shank is, uh, was cloth and nylon. They are pretty good.
0: That's what I had too. Yep. I had the cloth side boots. Yeah. (laughs) I was embarrassed to wear them.
1: (laughs) Oh, I wore the hell out of mine. (laughs) I beat those things to shit. Uh,
0: living in San Diego, I don't know. I wasn't like... Marching around in the woods too often to be wearing those boots. (laughs) Uh, I like when that cop goes,
3: April fools, motherfuckers. Yeah. Yeah, Is it even Um,
1: April? Is it even the spring?
0: (laughs) And then this is like the, the real deflating part of the movie where Eddie offers to turn in the three guys who have been his like, <sighs> closest friends. And it's like, oh, what? You're selling out your entire soul? Well, guess what? You get the, the shame of doing that, and it's not even worth it because they already got arrested.
3: That's so sad.
0: Again, I, the Friends of Eddie Coyle, I thought this would be a movie about Eddie Coyle being, like, a gang leader, or, you know, a guy that's, like, not a backstabbing rat who's <laughs> narking on his friends to the cops. So it's a bold choice for a movie. Um, Dude, oh, if I've if I'm offered a hockey game in a Wine and steak dinner date. Oof. That's romance. Like I, I'm sold. Yeah, I'm sold that's the thing.
1: That. If I'm offered that evening, I'm getting shot in the head. <laughs> <laughs> Especially to see greatest hockey player in the world, Bobby Orr, number four.
0: Helmetless hockey. Truly terrifying. <laughs> Seeing those men skating around with nothing on their heads. Mm-hmm scared the shit out of me.
3: And really, are there... is there any other pads or anything?
0: Back then? I yeah. don't know. Now, hockey players wear a lot of shit.
1: Yeah. but I feel like there were just a bunch of scrawny guys just ramming into each other. They're not all bulked up with
3: the
0: padding. I laughed when, uh... Eddie brings back three beers... <laughs> And they're like, hey, is that piss? And he's like, no, it's not piss. It's hard to carry It's, <laughs> it's hard, hard to carry beer in a crowd. crowd. You ever try it?
1: <laughs> it's so good. And poor
0: Eddie is like oh, poor Eddie's like having. It's just sad because like this guy is just like, oh, this friend's taking me out before I have to go to jail. And just like, what a beautiful little night. And it's it's just like a it's just like a very bittersweet melancholy ending to this where this guy gets like such a wonderful date night and then passes out drunk and like So he passed out just like on a totally good vibe. Yes. And then just gets blasted while he's asleep. <sighs> and as uh they use it, he goes that's why I used a twenty two and it made me think of my blue heaven where Steve Martin's telling about a a guy getting executed in an elevator, and it's like, a 22 will just rattle around inside your brain. Use a 45, you got dry cleaning bills. (laughs) Oh, I'd like. Dude, they're going to take Eddie. I mean, obviously, they're not going to take him back to his car, but Eddie's planning on driving tonight. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Eddie. He plays drunk well too. Oh my god! Just, he just looks s- tired. He just looks like a guy that just gets tired and sloppy when he drinks, mm-hmm. and it's not. I don't know. Again, this performance was really spectacular. Do you? What other um, Mitchum movies do you know? I don't know if you answered that question.
1: Um, the oh shoot, the Night of the Hunter which is has a young Mitchum like this was not super late like this was late in his career but he did stuff after it as well um but Night of the Hunter uh Cape Fear is great out of the past is one of my favorites speaking of
3: films noir
0: ooh okay i got to check some of these out for sure yeah um, cause I, I, I just loved him in this. It's it so good. Night of the Hunter. He's reali-
1: fucking creepy. All
0: right. I'll, I'll start with that one. I didn't realize that, um, Cape fear Scorsese remade
3: Cape fear. Oh yeah. And it's, uh, you know, it's Cape fear on cocaine. <laughs> Great. So what
1: you would go not only for a beer and a hockey game, but if Robert Mitchum was there with you, you'd be sunk. Cause you'd you'd sign up for that.
0: That'd be great, except that guy gets too drunk where I'm like, dude, we are in public and we are a long way from home and <laughs> you gotta You gotta pull your shit together, man. I like it when the barkeep is earlier, he does two shots back to back and he's like, Okay, man, well come back at six o'clock because if you stay here, you're not gonna make it.
1: Yeah. That's I like how in that scene Eddie walks in and just with his fingers, uh he shows like a tall glass and a short glass. It's like, I want a beer and a shot. And the bar t- Again, we've seen before, I don't recall which movie
0: it was, Tiny Beers. Oh, tiny yeah. Beers back then. Little, like, 10-ounce pours of what looks like like a very weak lager.
1: That's, that's the gentleman's pour.
3: I would take, especially drinking
0: IPAs now, mm-hmm. I I would drink like an... I don't even want to think of how many little tiny 10-ounce beers like that I could go through.
1: (laughs) I mean, uh, I don't know. That would have been like a a Miller High Life or something.
3: About that, yeah. Gross.
0: Gross. My brother-in-law, his last name is Miller. And so that's why I think he drinks it and he says it's the champagne of beers. Yes. And I say, no, you just like it because it's your name and you're just convincing yourself to like it. He won't he won't admit to this, though. He still tells me that it's good.
1: So uh, for for a very long time, uh, I was a scotch drinker and my dad was like, "Ugh, how'd you get to like he drinks Jack Daniels? I'm like, it's not any worse than Jack Daniels, first of all. Uh, Jack
0: is a like gross.
1: Yes. Uh, secondly, I, and I tried to tell him, he was like, oh, he must've drank a lot of it during college. And like, really? And I was like, no, I didn't really drink in college. Um, I tried telling him it's because of an Elliot Smith song and he will not believe me. And I'm like, no, it really is <laughs> because there's a line about Johnny Walker red in one of his songs. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to go to the liquor store and buy me some of that. And, uh, yeah, it totally came from a stupid place, but it was it was enjoyable.
0: I believe that.
1: Yeah, 100
0: uh, <laughs> percent. I went through a phase of drinking Rolling Rock because angry video game nerd. drank <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. I've thought about angry video game nerd for quite a while. Uh, he's still
0: going. It's not the same as it was. It's not. But, uh, I like him. Good old James Rolfe.
3: Ugh. Do you have
0: anything else here? There's like, it's kind of, this is a movie that's... I feel like there's not a ton to talk about with it. But this
2: this
3: fucking ending.
0: Like, that whole thing...
1: Like you noted, it... From where he deflates... From where he gets told that they already caught the the bank robbers, you know it's going downhill at that point. And then he gets killed, and that hits me like a like a basket of bricks. It's just it sucks so much because to think that he could have gone away maybe for eight months if he was lucky, and he doesn't want that to happen, and he doesn't want his wife to go to work, but he could have come back and like. Got in a straight job, driving truck, and been okay. But because of his pride, he didn't want to go back into the slammer.
3: Like, ugh. Yeah,
0: cashed in his whole life and multiple other people's lives. Just because he wanted to save between, at the maximum, five years. But it seems like it would probably have been closer to two, seemingly. Yeah. So, but is, is there another ending for this character? No. Like, I mean... There's, you can't have redemption for this guy, right? <sighs> Even if we do like him as an audience.
2: Yeah.
3: I think... Uh, and it sucks. It
1: sucks that Peter Boyle gets away. Like... He, King Rat. Yeah, his he gets to do his little speech about, um, what was it, the the pigeon bring a rat with wings?
0: Yeah, that novel. They're like, oh, I heard this guy say the most clever thing the other day, a pigeons are out with wings. It's like, oh man, the 70s. I've, it's the time where, like, so many long-running jokes that I've heard forever. <laughs> were created back then, and so at a certain point, those were actually, like, funny jokes.
3: <sighs> yeah, it's a of an ending, uh, but it's a good
0: movie. Uh, I love it. What, what do you give this one? I would give this a f- solid four out of five. Very, very enjoyable. Mm-hmm. I liked it a lot, and... Um... Yeah, like I said, I will be searching out more Mitchum stuff, and I think now that I have him as an anchor, that'll be a good way to get me to watch some of the older noir and other stuff, and kind of have him as my my anchor point. Yeah, you you gotta
1: you gotta find your guys. Yeah, if you get if you get, so if you get a guy, give this one? I give it uh, five because I love it and. It does pass the, the test of getting me a little emotional. I don't cry. I was but but going to say,
0: I, I know you're five star.
1: Yeah, but it it depresses me every time. Like, I know where it's going to end, and it still it messes me up every time. And uh, I think there's something to that. And I do. I think it's. I mean, Mitchum is always good. But this is some kind of like really lived in heavy performance here that, like you said, it's so small. It's so subtle. It's not screaming and putting your hands through through the wall. Uh, And it's not Brando. Like, he could have played it like that and been mumbly and, you know, really kind of like actorly about it. But he's not. This movie... Is so much the opposite of blowout in style. <laughs> yeah. Totally. <laughs> There's like nothing totally. flashy in this movie. From the now performances it's to the down, camera. Tone
0: down. Yeah. Like the flashiest shot is that spiral ascent in the the parking garage. Yeah. That's probably like the closest we get to a De Palma shot in this thing. But it works. Yep. Because this is not a movie about flashy men, this is a movie about Eddie Coyle, who's tired and at the end of his run and just wants to retire to Florida with all the other people, but can't quite make it there.
2: Ugh.
1: So, yeah.
0: Awesome. Well, next time, uh, we'll be right around Thanksgiving. I don't know the exact date. I think we'll be actually after Thanksgiving with our current release schedule. Um, but we'll be doing a Thanksgiving Feast episode. Talking about ravenous and Midsummer.
1: Midsummer?
0: Midsummer. I don't know. I'm still not a hundred percent on how to pronounce it. I'm not either. But I'm looking forward to that one. That'll be a fun episode.
1: I can't wait to watch got, the director's cut of that one, because
0: that's what we're doing. It's long. It's good though. I think it's it uh the scenes that it adds are they they add a lot of context to things that just kind of flesh it out a bit more. Cool. And your camera has gone completely <laughs> blurry now. So I think that means that your camera's sleepy, just like I'm sleepy. I, t- I took my glasses off, off to, to try to fix, the,
1: to fix the problem, and it didn't fix it. <laughs> nope.
3: This is how I live
0: now. Um. Any... Any plugs here before we wrap up?
1: Um, if you do listen to this and you for some reason don't listen to uh, Stagecoach Justice, uh, we have started a new season. After our Weird West uh, month, we are talking about the films of Walter Hill. They're a lot more modern, a uh, little easier to get into maybe for a lot of people. And they're not strict westerns either. They're westerns in spirit, because Walter Hill said he never made a movie that wasn't a western. Um, So these are a little more fun, a little more modern. You got Nick Nolte in one of them. Just being Nick Nolte, it's great.
3: Good stuff.
0: Awesome. I would say uh, if you're looking to have some feels and some emotions in America, directed by Jim Sheridan, 2002 starring... Patty considine, who is one of my guys, and everyone it's just a movie about a Irish immigrant family in New York City, and the four of the people in the family just give beautiful performances. It feels like a lived in family and uh yeah it's it's just it's an emotional one, but it it's it's a it's a good one you'll... It's not going to, like, crush you. It, 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 it'll be alright in the end. Uh, yes, you will
3: be,
1: but it will crush you along the way to get there.
0: Oh yeah, no, I was... yeah. And still thinking about the ending can kind of get me to an emotional state. Also, we're watching... Portrait of a Lady on Fire tomorrow for Sunday Morning Movie Club, which is my host. Ooh. And speaking of movies, we're just thinking about the ending of it will make me emotional. Uh, that's one of them. I can't wait to rewatch it tomorrow.
1: Yeah, that's... Uh, I love that movie.
0: Oh, and I watched Petite Maman, and that oh. was very good.
1: I haven't seen that one.
0: It's 72 minutes. Perfect. And it's just like a quaint little story and it's it's a it's a nice way to to look at grief and stuff. I I really enjoyed it, and it was at the end of an emotional day, and so watching that movie, it, the the tears just like didn't stop towards the end, even if like the movie wasn't necessarily provoking them, it was just a lot going on in my life. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, I recommend that one as well. All right, and on that note. Uh, and it'll bring us to the end. So we will see you in two weeks with our Thanksgiving feast episode. Thank you very much for listening. Please be kind to yourself. And take care of each other. And we will... Uh-oh, I just gave out at the end there. <laughs>
1: you almost had it. We'll
0: see you, we'll see you next...
1: <laughs>
0: I am so oh, tired. Oh, God. I am so tired.
1: It's almost 11 o'clock here. What are you... What, what time is bedtime, Sean? Uh, it's just... I'm just tired. Yeah. So please be kind
0: to yourself, take care of each other, and we will see you next time. Bye.
1: Bye.